Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Car Chat. And with me today, I have... Mr. Dan Prosser. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my podcast space. It's a lovely podcast space. Um, <clears throat> I haven't told you this yet, but this is the first time I've been on a podcast. Oh. I'm very excited. Nice. Have you, have you ever recorded voice with headphones on? That's a good question. I like, don't, have you ever had your voice played back through? Played your back, head? I'm sure somewhere, but this will be the the longest period of time that I've done that for. Because <laughs> it's quite like, quite a lot of people come and they sit down and they put the headphones on and then they hear the voice and they're like, "Oh, this is quite it's quite nice." It's like someone reading you a little bedtime story or something. I've heard people say that headphones are better for podcasts because it locks people into the conversation, you know, and your 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 mind's not wandering elsewhere and you're concentrating on what the other person's saying. So it, it really does. And we'll then also, on. if your phone starts beeping or yeah, something yeah. like that, then you're um, you're good. Okay. So, Dan, can you sort of introduce yourself and say yeah. who you are, what you do? I'm a car journalist, and a few years ago that meant something different. You know, that meant you probably worked on staff on a magazine or you were a freelancer and closely affiliated to a magazine and mm. you spent your time testing cars and writing about them and maybe writing about the industry as well. Now it means something quite different because, you know, we're living in the digital world. So it can mean anything from writing for a magazine, which I still do, or writing for websites or presenting videos or getting involved in the social media space. So it's, a, it's become a really sort of diverse job in the last 10 years or 12 years, which is how long I've been doing it. Yeah, because it must have changed significantly from when you started out to now. So I got I, my first job in the industry, I got at the end of 2007. So just as the financial crash was starting yeah. to hit, which was great <laughs> timing. And we, 
it was a, a publishing company called Unity Media in Kent, and it brought back a magazine called Performance Car, which was a big magazine back in the day. And so I was involved in bringing this magazine back. I, 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 was, I was 20 when I got the job. I was staff writer, so I was involved... I was on staff, but you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't one of the big roles. Mm. And I remember we we had a website because we felt we should have a website, you know. Yeah. But it was <laughs> it was maybe telling people where they can find the magazine, what the magazine's about, contact info, very very little editorial. And this yeah. you know, and this was ended two thousand and seven, all the way through to two thousand and nine, which is as long as the magazine survived for two years. We never really had a proper website. It's kind of funny thinking about that. It just it just seems odd that it's only taken 10 years to get from that point where you don't necessarily have a website, it doesn't really yeah. feel like you need one, to where we are today, and it's everything. Everything. God, yeah, that's a real, like, blast back into how much has changed. I'm just thinking about, like, the first time I went on the internet was probably, like, 2000 or something, mm. and then... Wow, here yeah. we are. So <laughs> it was it was around that time, I think quite soon after I took the job, maybe a few months actually, that Jethro, Dickey and Monkey set up Drivers Republic, which I'm sure lots of your listeners will remember. And that was, it, it's now considered to have been ahead of its time, you know, it came mm. along too early. And so that, that's where we were. This was 2008, 2009. And this big new editorial website project didn't quite take off because it was a bit too early. In just a few years, man, it's changed so fast. And in front of my eyes, it's been completely bizarre to watch. So you started off working for this magazine Mm. as a staff writer. Now, what what is a staff writer? Staff writer, it means... Actually, a staff writer can be quite an experienced person who's been doing it for a long time and has a degree of respect around the joint. You know, it's not just the... What did Harris call them? The road test ashtray. You know, you're not just getting kicked around the office and off to do the the crap jobs but it was it was a very small team and so I was given this title staff writer probably I I should have been junior staff writer but because it was a small team and performance car as we relaunched it was similar in many ways to Evo magazine but with much more of a focus on affordable cars so we covered the whole market we covered classic cars we covered brand new performance cars always or most of the time with a bit of a view towards affordability because we reckoned that Evo had gone the other way. So that yeah, was the your niche. the niche that we'd identified. But it, I, I just got this amazing introduction to the industry. And actually it was bloody reckless, okay? I was 20, 21, just, just into, my, into my first professional job. And I was getting packed off to road test 911 GT3s at Thorpe. Six months into the job, I got sent to Le Mans as a 21-year-old in a 500 horsepower Corvette Z06. And I just remember driving around <clears throat> Le Mans in 2008 on Mad Friday, I think they call it, with all these packs of British guys blocking the road until I did a burnout. And I was like, you know, six months before that, I hadn't driven anything with more than a couple of hundred horsepower. Yeah. And so this was the most amazing start in this industry that that magazine gave me. Yeah, and, that is- you know, it, it, was, it was just a dream dream start that is the the dream i think when everyone sees journalists or car journalists and stuff like that and you're like oh you you just get to go and do some really cool stuff Mm. and drive some mental things that to get to drive otherwise is basically impossible that's the that's the really jammy bit about it you know the stuff that you get to do 
and it is legitimately work you know mm. it's you're you're not just there on a jolly you are working but it's <clears throat> it's just fantastic it's some of the stuff i've done once in a lifetime stuff stuff that you probably can't pay to do you know and that's that's why i'm in it that's why i love doing this job yeah the majority of the time you're probably not driving a gt3 round Bruntingthorpe or whatever. God damn it. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Don't <laughs> ruining this illusion. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm definitely I concentrate on performance cars, so it's always kit that I'm sort of inherently interested in. You know, I've I've managed to sort of steer my way around the day to day stuff that you know, absolutely need, it needs the attention of the motoring media, but I just not by just you. Not my attention. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if I if I'm driving something, I I tend to be you know, really keen to get underneath the skin of that car and work it out. But then beyond all the driving, there's a hell of a lot of planning and organisation, meetings, there's trying to convince PR people that you're worthwhile, that they should yeah. listen to what you have to say and invite you on their launches and lend you their cars. And then there's a whole lot of writing as well, which actually, as much as I love the cars, as much as I love the opportunities that I get, I'm a writer first and foremost, you know? That that mm. is that is my first passion. That's what I really like doing. And that's ultimately why I wanted to become a writer. It just made sense to write about cars as well. That's that's cool. And it's it's I think that's a good way of distinguishing with people. I had Alex Goy on the yeah, podcast yeah, I heard, and, yeah. and he was um he was saying his his main thing is writing. Like that's what brought him into being a, a mm. journalist and he now so happened to make videos. But Exactly That's, right. I think that sort of seems to be the way it's if you, gone on. If anyone's interested in getting into this line of work, any youngsters out there, what you are before anything else is a writer. You're a journalist, you know. If you, if you don't love that side of it, it's slightly different now because you can make a really good career on the video side. But if you, if you want to be a magazine road tester, you're a writer before you're anything else. And people have to be cool with that before they, they try and get into this line of work. Yeah, Definitely. It's interesting. So you're a performance car magazine and you've been thrown yep. into driving all these performance cars, yep. which I have to say is a masterstroke, just somehow being like, yeah, that's that's my thing. Because <laughs> yeah. if, if anyone says to me, do you want to drive this car? I'm like, no, that's boring. So mm. I'll drive the interesting one or I won't do it. That's fine. Yeah. But um, and then there's unfortunately some people that literally just some people must enjoy the mundane cars or it's just a job and they just do it. I think a lot of these guys really do enjoy it. Yeah. And they, yeah, they do. They don't consider that they've got the, pulled the short straw. You know, they're, they're as, probably as interested in those cars and in assessing those and understanding those cars and engaging with the manufacturers while talking about those cars, understanding why they've done things a certain way. You know, they're, they're into that whole process. They also love the fast cars, but they're, they're not, you know, none of these guys are bitter sitting around yeah. going, God damn it, I wish I was <laughs> driving GT3s at Bronte. It, it, I, I, don't, I don't think they are. Some of them will be. Some of those yeah, guys will be. But by obviously, and large, like, every now and then something ridiculous will come up and one person gets to do it. And it every, everyone gets like, a good yeah. blast in the, in the fun stuff. Yeah, and I think it's probably like any, anything you find yourself interested in, the more you mm. start becoming a geek, the more you start appreciating and understanding and becoming interested in really small, mundane things. Mm. But because they've changed, you're like, oh, that's interesting. And therefore, anything fundamentally can be interesting. And, you know, the best of these guys, they're they're fascinating to talk to even about mundane cars because 
they've got such a database. They, they've been it. doing it for, I, I, I maintain that only after five years full-time in this line of work are you starting to get somewhere and mm. understanding what makes a good car. Partly because you need to drive, you need to have driven the previous version of a car and the new one to get, you know, to have that, that context and understand what's good and what's not so good about it. And, and these guys, if they've been doing it for 10 years, they've just got this amazing database and they can, you can say to them, you know, Mark 5, Ford Fiesta with the 1.4. Tell me about it, and they'll they'll say, "Oh yeah, it was it, it was okay, steering good, really lovely manual shift, but build quality of yeah." And it's they just they just pull it out of their hat, you know. Yeah, and they're like, actually, the 1.2 was revved yeah. much freer, and that's the one to buy. Yeah, yeah, and it does. I think that's probably where most YouTubers nowadays get. I don't think "shown up" is the the right word, but I think that's possibly why some of the road testers look down at these certain YouTubers and go, well, you just don't know anything about cars. And it's it's only because they've only haven't been doing it very long mm. and they haven't driven four hundred thousand cars. It's true. But it, you do hundred percent need that data you need to build up that database in your head. It, of- it's your as a road tester, it's your biggest asset. You know, that that's what that's what separates you from other people who haven't been doing it for very long. Oh, this whole journalist YouTuber thing. That's, I, I, I don't want to have it as like a, an argument. Do, 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 do you know what? I, I, I wondered if you were going to bring it up because it's an interesting topic, but my attitude towards it has really changed in the last couple of years, certainly. Mm. I, I probably said a few, you know, tweeted one or two sniffy things in the past that I don't stand by anymore. Yeah. We can really get into it now. Um, I, the thing about the influencer YouTuber set versus the traditional media set is that we were the incumbent you know we were the incumbent it felt like our space and there was there was a disruptor coming along it's classic disruption that's all it is and i i I inherently think that disruption in an industry is a good thing because it keeps it fresh and it you know it it keeps it moving forward and so i have to apply that same ideology to my own industry i think and I've, i've come to think that actually maybe it is a good thing it was certainly an inevitable thing you know it's it's quite clear that there was some kind of market or an appetite for particularly video content maybe some written con- content as well from these more lifestyle based uh, influencer content creators there, there's absolutely a market for it we can see by how big their audiences are and i think as the incumbent when you see someone else coming along and doing something that looks and feels like what you're doing and you've been doing for a long time and you've worked really hard to do there, there probably is an instinctive reaction that makes you go, what's going on here? Who are you? 100%. Get away. It's, it's sort of inevitable. But I think as it's matured, I think we can see that actually they're not doing what we do. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a, it is a separate thing. They have their audience and they're, in many cases, a much, much bigger audience. And I think actually there's space for us all to coexist. And the, the truth of it is... You know, these guys, I, I know a handful of them, and they're all great guys. They love cars. And I, I can't be sure that if I was getting into this line of work six, seven years after I did it, maybe I would find myself going down the, the, the YouTuber influencer route just because I didn't really know what it was I was getting into. I just wanted to write about cars and ultimately create video content about cars, you know? And yeah. However, whatever the platform I use, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I think that's it. And then when I meet anyone... I just generally go on how they are as I meet them. Mm. Unless the problem with social media is it, overall, whether whoever it is, 
is you get all this information before you've met someone and it keeps forms an opinion in your head of yeah. what this person's going to be like. And that could be someone's just tweets on Twitter or whatever. But my general consensus is most people I've met in this industry who are car type people, one are car, they're actually car mm. nuts and that's why they're doing it. And the rest of it is just whatever's formed and however, everyone's just trying to do their own shit and it spawns different ways. Exactly. If, you, if, if anyone's feeling threatened by anyone else, just go out there and do a better job at what you do, whatever it is you do. And also, when you meet these guys, you'll get along with them. You'll yeah. find some common ground, probably about cars, and you'll realise... You've got loads to chat about. Yeah. We're all just, really, just, just mates having a good time writing and talking about cars. And yeah. Can't we all get along? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty much it. And, yeah, in my eyes, like, I consume a lot of media in all mm. sorts of forms. Same. And I go to different people for different things. Mm. If it's just entertainment, some people are more entertaining than other people. But then also, equally, if, it, if it's car-based, there's only certain people's opinions I will take on how I feel about a car, yeah. like how it handles or whatever. I go, well, one, you sort of outline them as a person and go, do they like stuff that I like? Do we? Do I feel like yeah. we like similar things? Mm. Because if we don't like similar things, I pretty much can disregard, disregard or, or hear, but I won't take it that seriously, their opinion. If, if their idea of a perfect daily is... I don't know, just lost it to the top of my head, but a Cullinan, mm. which I could actually see, like, you know, I could, I could, I could see a Cullinan being quite a good car to daily, but if they're like, that's it's all I want to drive and they drive it with like one hand and then they're on the phone like the entire time, you'd be like, okay, well that's, mm. we're not, we're not about the same stuff. So I don't need to listen. I'm not going to listen to you. Yeah. People who are much smarter than me <clears throat> and who read the times and do the cryptic crossword, they tell me that if you, because these crosswords are written by people and they publish the name of the, the person they're written by. Hmm. And if you do enough of them, you get into the head of the person who writes that cryptic oh, really? crossword. So the clues start making much more sense. And that gives you this amazing connection to the person who's written that crossword. It's the same with any kind of content around cars. You find the people that you align with and then you, you, you actually form your opinions based on what a handful of these people yeah. write and say about cars. And you, yeah, it's, it's a great thing when you feel like you trust someone and you, I've, I've had lots of, you know, everyone who does what I do has had people come up to them and say, I bought this car because of you. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Yeah. Whoa. God, I hope you like it. Please <laughs> tell me you like it. That's a stressful moment. <laughs> it's a cool one though. It's, yeah. I, I've, I've had that. And it's, I, I'm like, why? Why? Yeah. Why have you bought this car? I don't know. I'm like, yeah, it was good. And I'm like, yeah, fair. I think it is good. It makes me nervous. I, I hate giving car advice, which a car journalist shouldn't really admit to an audience but it's so specific <laughs> it's it's so specific you know I, some people dislike a car because the seating position isn't quite right for them i can't tell them about that yeah you know or they oh, i don't know the they might have the some sort of brand affinity that you don't know about. or something <laughs> I, you know I, my left ball doesn't look the same as that so i i don't know like i i can only tell people what i think of a car but i i hate telling people to go put a deposit down or go and buy a car just because I think it's good. You know, I, I cringe at the thought of them coming back to me saying, oh, I took delivery the other day. Don't really like it. You know, I'd have to go and find something else to do. Did you go test drive it first? No, you just said it was good. Well, you listened to some random person on that's basically That's basically all I say. Just try and drive one and decide for yourself. <laughs> it's, it's funny how I, I, you must get your friends that are not car people, mm. assuming you have some non 
non-car people friends. Assuming as I, I have friends, so I've got a few. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I've got plenty of non-car people And, like, friends, I get mates who just come up and they're like, I've got 10 grand or whatever, I want to buy a car, like, a bit like this. Mm. And then you sort of end up in some weird rabbit hole of auto trader where you're like, oh, yeah, but this model versus this year's the transition of that. and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you're like, okay, I've got some good ideas to add to your initial ideas, mm. but you really need to go and drive them yeah. because that's when you can decide. What's frustrating is when you make some good sort of cogent suggestions and then people dismiss them on the basis of it being a Kia, you know? Yeah. It's like, get over yourself, just go and have a look at the car. It's a good car. But I'm, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask for car buying advice, particularly on day-to-day stuff, because I don't spend a lot of time driving it, that, you know, all those normal cars, but also because I just don't know what it is exactly that you're looking for in a car. Mm. And, and different things resonate with different people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if I've driven it and I, and I think it's good, I'll tell you what I think about it, or if it's bad, I'll tell you what I think about it. But, yeah. but I'm not, not, not going to tell you where to put your money. <laughs> not many cars are bad these days, though. No, they're not really. They're, they're, you still get some. You do still get some. But this is why car journalists have to, you know, adjust to the, the sort of heightened quality of the car market. So it can't be the case that cars are good now and so everything gets five stars. Oh, yeah. A five-star score has to become exponentially harder to get. And so mm. none of us get this right. But <clears throat> a good car or an average car should be awarded two and a half stars. Okay, that's mathematically that just makes yeah. sense, doesn't it? But you never see a two and a half star rating. If and if if I awarded that rating to a car, the manufacturer would phone me up and say, "They'd be pissed. You've absolutely slammed our car. What's wrong? I, no, two and a half. That's average. <laughs> you know, that's that that should be the sort of baseline. Yeah, that's but that's just a ridiculous part of how our sort of society is. Mm. When any any feedback on any form whatsoever that's not five out of five, mm. the people get really pissed off. And you're like, no, it's not exceeds expectations it's not absolutely exceptional mm. it's what i thought it should be even if that's a, a gt3 yeah. <clears throat> which is a tricky yeah. one because you get it and you're like it is exactly what i thought it would be but i thought it would be awesome <laughs> yeah 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 so does it then get five stars i don't know really but do you know there there is a it's maybe the start of a, a bit of a trend and it, per- perhaps it's tied into careful here the you know the more lifestyle based influencer audience the way they discuss cars i ha- i do find sometimes when i give something a bit of a shooing people will jump in to defend the car mm. as though i've got an agenda and actually no i haven't actually you know I'm, I'm not just i'm not just pissed off with the pr person this manufacturer or whatever it yeah. might be i'm i'm sharing a you know a, a really a considered and honestly held opinion about this car i'm, I'm not just having a pop yeah and also if you say something negative about a car you are putting yourself on the line. It's it's a lot easier to say nice stuff about cars. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, it maybe is. Maybe not it in is. your own consciousness, but to, well, to to slam something if it's awful, mm. and then give it back to the man, the person that's given it to you, and go. Yeah, I think there are. I think there are probably that's, two that's types tough. of car journalists in this world. There are those that don't like doing that, and those who love doing that. <laughs> and I'm pr- I'm probably the first the first type. I, I don't. I, well, I'm not confrontational, so yeah. I'm, I'll, I will criticise a car to the full extent that it, it needs to be criticised when, you know, when, when that situation arises. I'm not the kind of person who will just lay into a car for fun mm. because I, I don't want to have to pick up the pieces, you know. <laughs> when it, and also, that's just egotistical. That's just about you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. That, that's not really a professional, you know, a, a professional piece of work. It's really tricky and it, 
I think what it's led to is a lot of videos, and the influencer ones are, majority are like this, are just overly positive all the time. And I think mm. a lot of people have realised, the, the creators and the listeners, you, you, you sort of watch, you know, now let's say the, oh, whatever, the embargo's dropped at midnight and the <laughs> 45 million view videos from all of the different people. Yeah. And it, I just pick a random car, let's say like a 488 Pista or something mm. like that, has dropped. And you watch five videos because that's what people do <laughs> and, yeah. you, and you sort of try and read between the lines and you go like right what are people not said you try and find the average between the videos don't yeah you? and everyone like most people are positive mm. and rightly so or whatever but you then sort of have to go rather than rather than like a one to five star rating it's a mm. averagely happy to like fully elated mind-blowing and then each person operates somewhere in between those two yeah. of like how they feel about the car. And you sort of go, mm, okay. But no one wants to, I think no one wants to piss off the press people. And generally, nothing's awful anymore. No, nothing is awful. And people, you, everybody has to th- consider their relationship with that manufacturer because it, it can cause issues. But I, I suppose one of the one of the core differences, I guess, between the two crowds, the, the influencer set and the journalist set, is that perhaps the, the journalist should be, and I, guess, I think will be, more minded to highlight flaws in a, in a given car. Because that's fundamentally our job, yeah. you know? Truth to power, baby. You know, that's, that's, what, <laughs> that's what journalists are there to do. They're, they're there to deliver truth to their audience. And this is where it gets a bit complicated. The, the YouTuber set and the journalist set, they're often on the same launches now. And yeah. often they're using the same footage if they're not shooting their own. And yeah. it's, the, it's the same event and it's the same road. So the, the videos that each party produces look very similar. And so this is where audiences need to be a little bit savvy about where the, the reporter, as it were, is coming from, hmm. you know. And it's, yeah, it's a tricky thing. I, I, I understand it, right? There are plenty of, you know, Mr. JWW's or Shmi's audience. Lots of those guys will think the stuff that I produce is boring as hell. I, I understand that. But then there'll be my audience who m- most values about my content, the, the honesty and the, the sort of integrity and the, the believability of the, the things that I'm, I'm saying about that car. Yeah. And there's a, tr- there's a trust there. I, I hope there's a trust there that they, they know that if, if something needs to be said about a car, we'll say it. So I think that that's what separates the two crowds. Yeah, I think I, think I would say like people like James and Tim, whatever, they, they would never say anything on camera that they didn't believe. I, 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 and I, I, yeah, I truly believe that. I agree. I think you have to almost, it's like this sort of classic, like top gear type thing of once you get to a certain size, you can say whatever the hell you like mm. and you can be really honest mm. because they can't not give you a car. Yeah. And there must be, there's an element to working for a magazine or working for another establishment that's, that's been around for a while that you are not going to single-handedly take down the relationship with that company depends on the company well, yeah. yeah potentially it's, i imagine it's totally possible with certain italian brands yeah, well, maybe um, Your words. but there's it must be quite nice knowing that you can be honest obviously you're not just going to slate something mm. but like you can pick up points and know that you're sort of and in fact under you're this bigger shroud you are encouraged to you know you're told it's your job and yeah tied into all this uh, I pull my hair out when I see people saying that magazine verdicts are influenced by advertising in that magazine. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because 12 years I've been doing this and 
Not once has uh, someone from the advertising department come up to me and said, OK, we've just signed a big deal for the, on the back page for the next 12 months with these guys. So next car you review needs to be a positive. It hasn't happened once. Yeah. What You know, you flip on its head. What has happened is they'll wander in into our part of the office and say, OK, I know you, you've got a road test on this car coming up soon or we're publishing it next week. Is it positive or negative? And you'll go gets a bit of a kicking and they'll go ah damn and walk away going right okay i need to i need to work this one out so and there's no pressure to certainly not on me not that i've ever felt in 12 years there's no there's no pressure to try and appease these these advertisers and the moment that starts to slip the game's up yeah 100 percent. because you people read the magazines for honest opinions mm. and as soon as you feel like you're not getting on well people consume all most content for a, an opinion they believe in whether it's Instagram, whatever, like you're you're backing people, and as soon as your trust in that person goes, like what? That's it. You're gone. It's yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I should say, you know, the the best of the influence a lot. They tread a, a fine line. They do a really good job of it. And you're quite right to say, I, I I don't think they're selling their their praise. You know, I don't I don't think a manufacturer can say, okay, you need to sell your audience yeah. is the best thing. They're certainly not to that extent. I think you get that sort of compromised, you know, sort of authenticity in mainstream Instagram, you know, the lifestyle yes. Instagram. Oh, 100%. Thing. It's terrible. It's, it's horrific. Honest, it, it's poisonous. It's it's really, really bad. But I, I don't see that with the, the best of the influencer set. I, you know, I, I kind of want that on record. I, I, yeah. think, I think they do a good job, those guys. Oh, mainstream, like, lifestyle... And it's kids, it's kids Club that they're targeting and, and, you know, manipulating. Yeah, and people buy all these products, whether it's yeah. clothes or yada, yada, yada. And then there is no sort of advertising trading standards on a Kardashian post, even yeah. though there really should be because hmm. that the number of people that see that is more than, like, any freaking advert ever. Grumbling about younger generations, that must be a sign of getting old. Oh, 100%. Like it's <laughs> we, it's I, happening then. I went, I went to a concert last night and the first thing I thought was, this is a bit loud. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I could stand at the back somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think it was a little bit loud, but like, whatever. When you're young, you don't, you <laughs> you don't think care. about these things. Yeah, no. So you were at Performance Car Magazine. Yeah. And then you moved on somewhere else? Yeah, so the magazine shut down. It, it launched at a terrible time. You know, we we put out our first issue... I think a couple of months after Lehman Brothers collapsed, it, it was it was terrible timing. But fair play to the publishing company. They, I don't think any other company, perhaps through being a bit more switched on, would have launched a, a print magazine at that time. So mm. the the magazine's legacy was that it gave a handful of young, but hopefully, well, certainly ambitious and hopefully capable journalists a, a proper leg up into this industry and some photographers as well. So good things came from that, that magazine. But yeah, it shut down end of two thousand and nine. And I, I, I sort of floated around for a little while. I, I, was, I was a freelance journalist, that's what I called myself, and I was doing bits of work here and there, but trying to work out what it, what it was. I, was. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but not quite how I was going to make it happen. And I was, I was into rallying at the time. I still love rallying, but I was really following it closely. And I had a, a rally blog called Mud, Snow and Tar. Oh, that's a brilliant yeah. name. If anyone wants to use that, you have to pay me lots of money. Is it, is it still, do you still have the website? No, I don't. It's gone. No, I don't. It's gone. Autocar used that 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 name, Mud, Snow and Tar, on the front of a, um, a rally supplement that they did. And the, to be fair, they asked me. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I didn't own it, but they were, it was very good of them to ask me. Yeah. And so it was wicked to see that little thing that I'd come up with on the front of... That's quite girl. cool. 
anyway, I digress. So I, I was doing this rally blog for a bit. Meanwhile, I was <clears throat> working for Piss and Heads and a couple of other magazines and also The Telegraph, actually. I was doing some bits for them. And, you know, the, the, the blog never really had a, a big audience, but I think people recognised that it was quite good and I was clearly trying hard to do something with it. Mm. And it was enough to make a bloke called Chris Harris get in touch with me. I, I'm a Bristol boy. I'm from Bristol. I was living in <laughs> I was living in Clifton at the time in a two-bed flat with two mates. And to make ends meet and to, so we could afford the rent, I was sleeping on the sofa paying <laughs> paying half rate. And anyway. And it's a I, nice part of Bristol, Clifton. Oh, yeah, it's great. I, 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 I live, live there now, actually. And, oh, I love Clifton. Um, and Chris, is he's a Bristol boy. He went to Clifton College. Yeah. I'd met him a couple of times when I was still at Performance Car and a couple of jobs, didn't know him well at all. But he got in touch and he, he wanted to go for a coffee in Clifton. And we, we very quickly started doing a bit of work together. You know, I was just helping him on video shoots and I was a bit of a gopher for a little while. But I found myself kicking about with him for a good couple of years. And in this day and age, kicking about with someone like him, driving all sorts of cars, going to cool places, just having conversations with someone with his experience about cars yeah. and road testing cars. Unbelievable. It's, it's an apprenticeship, you know? And it was one of the ways that I got into Evo magazine. When was this? <clears throat> 2014, Evo magazine, road tester, which is, as job titles go... Evo Magazine Road Tester. It's just horny as hell. Yeah, you know? that's and great. It was, it was, it was fantastic. And then I, I think I was there when the editorial team was as strong as it's ever been. You know, we had on staff. We had well, Nick was editor. Nick Trot, very very capable editor, good writer, loves cars. Uh, and we had Henry Catchpole was features editor. I was road tester soon after road test editor. And we had Dean Smith. We had uh, Sam, the videographer, Dean, the photographer, and later Aston, the photographer. And we still had Dickie working for Evo then. We had Jethro working for Evo then. That's like the, that's the team right there. Honestly, it was, again, I'd, uh, yeah, actually thinking about it now, very, very jammy I've been to have spent some time knocking about with Harris and then working at Evo with those guys. And there, there were others as well, you know, the, it, there was a really strong team of super talented writers and photographers and videographers. And I think for me, it kind of all culminated in Evo Car of the Year 2015, which if anyone reads the magazine or, or watches YouTube stuff, they'll remember that cover shot of, it was Kylescu Bridge and the North Coast 500 in Scotland. Yeah, This gorgeous shot of 11 or 12 of the best cars of that year parked on the bridge just looks stunning and the video that the guys produced seen through glass sam he he called it at the time the best car video he'd ever seen and he'd be he he shot this beautiful really sweetly judged piss take of it you know because he liked the video so <laughs> yeah, much yeah. he just had to satirize it which was great you know you, you've you've succeeded at that point when people are yeah satirizing your videos yeah exactly and so I, I just found myself in the centre of this amazing, not the centre of the team, but part of this amazing editorial team, absorbing everything that I could. And it was it was just mega. And I, I was lucky enough to write that year's Car of the Year, which... So I've, I was reading Evo magazine a decade before then, 12, 13 years before then, and just dreaming one mm -hmm. day of working for this magazine. And then I, I got to write the, the sort of halo feature of the year at a time when the team was at its best, the the cars were incredible the 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 place we went to the north coast 500 i'm sure you know yeah, yeah, yeah. stunning 
and everything just came together and I got to write it and it was a proper, you know, one of the top three moments of, of my career, certainly. So just such a lucky sod to have got to do that. Yeah, that is awesome. I, I remember that car of the year. I can't remember what the cars were. I feel like it must have been like an Aventador. Aventador SV, Cayman GT4, yeah. 675 LT, 488 GTB, Merc AMG GTS, Camaro, Camaro Z28, yeah, we had Civic Type R, the previous one, a Leon Sub 8, maybe a Peugeot perhaps I don't know but some those sorts of things yeah but stunning collection and then I remember it being in Scotland mm. and, and there was something really nice about it being in the UK or in Scotland where we have these amazing roads everyone sort of knows that they're, it's good up there but you don't often see much stuff and nowadays so much of these the videos or stories and stuff are I've flown into some amazing bit of tarmac in somewhere else in the world, and you're like, okay, that's cool, but like, it's not unless you've been there. It's not that relatable. Whereas yeah. when it's in the UK, I think everyone feels like, oh, it's just like down the road. And it's yeah, I mean, depending on where you are, it can be quite a long way away. That the North Coast section that is quite far away but, from here. But god damn, it's worth it, you know. And and it's there. It's you don't have to fly anywhere and then hire a car. You don't have to get on a on a boat or anything it's it's just it's, it's it's perfectly doable and you'll have as good a time driving there as perhaps anywhere in the world anywhere yeah. that i've been you know with the with the exception perhaps that speed limits are enforced a bit more enthusiastically yeah, points mean, over in the uk <laughs> points yeah. mean prizes yeah yeah you, you can't just bugger off home and <laughs> and allow someone else to deal with the fallout yeah it's but i suppose that's fair enough, really, isn't it? I mean, that is. You, you shouldn't really speed. I think everyone's like. Well, is, we all, we, we, yeah, we all, we all, we all choose to from time to time, but we know the risks, and you know, yeah. we're we're grown ups, and if we get that wrong, it's on us. Yeah, exactly. What's it like, Evo Car of the Year, with that bunch of people? Like, what's the dynamics like? What's what is it like to do it? That one was very special. We had the Franchitti brothers there as well, Dario Marino and a few other guests. So the, the, we got very lucky with weather that year, but the truth of it is there's a lot of work to be done. Mm. This one was slightly complicated by the fact that we were moving around the North Coast 500, which is a 500-mile loop of road. So often you'll be based in one place and you'll go out each day maybe to yeah. a different section of road. So this year was a bit more complicated. We were moving around and staying staying one night at various different locations. So th there's always a lot to be done, particularly when you're doing a video and shooting for a magazine story. So you're, you're doing long days, you're starting early and... There's a lot of repetitive driving. You know, you're, you're, if you're doing a, a panning shot, as you know, you, you'll have to do several runs, particularly, particularly if it's a couple of cars. Yeah. You've got to do a lot of runs and it's low speed and you're just repeating it over and over. So there's a lot of... It, it's, it's almost tedious work. It's, it's just stuff that's got to be done. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when often when the sun has set and you're on your way back to the hotel, perhaps it's a group of four of you and you've split off from everyone else that's when you have the best drive of the day on the way back to the hotel. You'll, you'll have a, a variety of cars and there'll be one person leading. They'll have their lights on full beam and you're just following them, ducking and weaving along these incredible roads. And you get eventually get to the hotel and you all step out and you just look at each other and you go, 
Wow. You know, it's the most amazing, it's a life affirming thing and it makes you, it, it reminds you why you love cars and why you love yeah. driving. And yeah, I've had it where you get to the hotel and you jump out and you hug one another just because it's so, sp- not necessarily because you are just going balls out. You know, you maybe were, but you, you're, you know, you use your judgment. You're, you're going quickly when you think it's appropriate. But yeah, and just enjoying the experience. Exactly. And it's, it's just, it's, it's driving at its best with your mates, you know, and it's, that, that is, what's really special about those trips. Yeah. And so much, unfortunately, I think the image when people see these press trips and stuff like that is everyone sort of thinks that that is what happens the entire time. Mm. And I think probably on press trips, it's not a lot of the time, is that. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And the, the truth of it is, if you're going to write a detailed assessment of a car, 2,000-word detailed assessment of the car, you need to spend the best part of a week in it drive it in different conditions, different roads. So when you're on a launch, you can't come away with that kind of authoritative, Mm. definitive verdict. So you have to accept that. And then what you find is that all you really need to understand a car enough to come away to write about it and give your your first impressions about that car is a 30-minute drive on a good road. If you you can get that, if you can get that, you can write your piece. And honestly, that is not a given. I've... Yeah, in the past, I've flown halfway across Europe, driven a car in the rain on some terrible roads outside a city near an airport, and then handed the keys back and just gone, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So if you can get 30 minutes on a good road, you're set. That's all it takes. You know, it's, it's not like you're spending two days blasting around having a great time. Yeah, it's definitely, you start to learn, like, I'm much better now at getting in a car and working out whether I like it or not. But mm. you have to... You have to have that time and that drive or that stint of road or whatever where you can put it all together and go, yes, no, like exactly. this, don't like that. I'd rather have 30 minutes on a great road than two solid days on average busy roads. You know, you learn, you just learn so much. And that, that's that's where you become quite skillful as a road tester is when you have that small opportunity to have a proper go in a car and you just download everything that you, you want to know about it, you know, until you get it back in the UK and spend a week with it. Yeah. That, that's, where, that's where it becomes, you know, that, that's where you consider yourself a professional, when you can do that and write a worthwhile review of that car. That, that's the skill. Yeah. Do you, do you often go out and review a car, for example, and let's say, let's say you've got that 30 minutes, and then look back, having driven it, a year later and go, maybe that wasn't right. <laughs> it happens, man. It does happen. It does happen, which is why, you know, to anyone who's reading a verdict in a... Publishers will help me. Help, will hate me saying this because from their point of view, you should be delivering a definitive verdict that the magazine stands by for the rest of the time. Not going to happen. Yeah. And so if, if you know that the journalist has flown out to Mallorca to drive this car, just be aware that they didn't have that much seat time. The roads probably had loads of cyclists on them, so they had to be quite careful driving it. Maybe the roads were a bit wet. You Just be aware that they've had to deliver that verdict on the basis of not a great deal of seat time. And the best will be able to do it well, but <clears throat> it's a bloody hard thing to do. So you have to wait until a car has been driven extensively in the UK before you can look at somebody's verdict and go, OK, you know, I, <clears throat> I really trust that or I'm, I'm going to put my money d- down based on that. Yeah, it's it, it it does take a lot of skill and experience to assess a car very quickly. But even when you've been doing it for a long time, 
you you will learn so much more about that car when you spend a full week in it on roads that you know yeah. in, that's actually the most important point roads that you know and so yeah you you, you fall in love with a car like a holiday romance when you're out in the sunshine somewhere and then you come home and then you realize oh it's not that pretty and it's actually a bit annoying you know <laughs> and then you just have to be honest and just front up and say yeah on our roads it actually doesn't work as well yeah that bit about a road you know i know uh at the moment <clears throat> harry metcalf when he does his yeah. his reviews he's i think i was watching one of them he's like i've declined to go and drive it somewhere else i just want it delivered to my house and then i've got four i've got a test route that i do and therefore you build up you can imagine, you, know, you get that yeah. database. If you've driven a certain road, like I've driven Route Napoleon, for example, a mm. bunch of times or some roads in the UK, and you know what each of the cars you've driven were like down that exact road. In micro detail, down to there'll be one little compression with a bit of a kink on it, and you, you know, you've driven a, a Ferrari whatever through there, and you know it skips a little bit, and you've driven a Lamborghini through there, and you know it's perfectly settled. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where... Having a road that you know inside out is a huge asset. You have to be a little bit careful because not everybody's driving that road, you know. You, you need yeah. to drive everywhere else as well. But it's the best way to order your thoughts, your you know, your, your opinions on certain cars within the same class. Drive If you can drive them back to back down the same road, even better. But at least driving them on the same road, yeah, that, that really lets you understand a car and be confident in your verdict. There's no, yeah, no question about it. So how long were you at Evo for? Uh, there for three years. So for the first year, I was road tester. Second two, the, the final two years, road test editor. Just had a brilliant time. It's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a great magazine. I learned a huge amount. They've still got some great people there doing a really, really good job. But they, it's basically because we spoke about Bristol earlier. I'm a, I'm a Bristol boy and mm. that's, that's where I want to be. And for this line of work, I've moved to Tunbridge Wells and I moved to Northampton when I started at Evo. Yeah. So I've, I, you know, I've bounced about a bit, being in where I need to be to do this, this job. But I'm a Bristol boy, and my friends and family are all there. And so ultimately, I've, I want to find a way to get back there and, and do what I do for a living. And yeah. I'm making it work. You know, I, I did best part of two, was it two years? Yeah, it was two years with Also Car. I was freelance, but maybe half my time was with them. And that's a, that's an education. You know, those guys are they're so professional and so meticulous and. There's a real rigor about the way they they go about testing cars. Mm. They they're professionals to the core. So, again, to have spent two years working on and off with those guys, it's that's how you become good at what you do. It's just learning from these people who have learned from people before yeah. them. So I've I've been very very lucky to you know wring whatever experience and knowledge out of the people that I've worked with, and hopefully that goes some way to making me half good at my job. So yeah, yeah. two two years there. And the, for the last eight or nine months since I stopped working with them, I've been working mostly for Piston Heads and a company called Car Gurus, which owns Piston Heads. Yeah. So Car Gurus is a a car a used car buying platform. It's very very clever. It's a it's a tech company based out of Boston in the US. It's huge in the US. Car Gurus, and they've re- recently launched it in the UK. And as part of that launch, they wanted uh, an editorial product to sit alongside. The, the the main core of the business yeah and so that's what i do i, I write stuff for them and i i make videos for them um and they bought piston heads maybe last year right and so it's all tied together so okay, those, yeah. those are my two main clients the, the two that i work for at the moment and i do other bits and pieces here and there how do you go about putting together stuff for them do you just go 
you know, I'm thinking of doing this, 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 and they're like, yes, or they have, you know, they've got some stuff you want to do. Or has it's this it's sort of way pretty really? much the first way around. So it, it's quite straightforward, the stuff that they want me to produce for them. They, they want review videos, fundamentally. Yeah. There's a little bit more to it than that, but they they want review videos. And because my background has been in performance cars, I tend to focus on the more performancey side, not 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 exclusively, but but mostly. And we, we shoot these videos that take... They're, they're very tightly scripted and there's a format, so they take about three hours to shoot. Yeah. Which is actually... Not bad. It's not a long time, you know. I'm, is it you and a... How many people? Yeah, working with videographers, really good videographers. So we, we shoot those videos and get them out. But then I do the piston head stuff as well. And that's more in depth and a bit more, you know, we can sort of luxuriate a little bit with those and go to really great locations and spend more time working on them and shoot longer videos. And I've loved doing that for the last eight or nine months. Hopefully we've produced some half decent stuff. I particularly enjoyed your video of the GT3 RS. You're just saying that because you've got one and you're hoping it boosts the values a little bit. <laughs> well, no, not really. But I, well, I've, I've had that car for six years or something and I, I, I believe it's one of the best cars oh, man, ever. That car, that car, it's so good. The engine, the way it looks, the, you know, the dynamics, just everything... I, I think that's probably we'll look back at that as the sweet spot, you know, of, of technology and of safety. 2010, and, yeah, that sort of year, 2010, 11, Speciali, yeah, yeah. G3 RS, amazing time, amazing time for cars before they, not I don't want to say dumbed down, but before things started to change, electric power steering, turbocharging, yeah, yeah, numbed numb down, yeah, god damn it, I'm supposed to come up with those, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, numbed down, that's very good. Yeah, that, I think that uh, we'll look back at that period and just think, wow. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very jealous. And yours looks fantastic. What's the blue called? Aqua blue. Aqua blue. And, and I've changed the exhaust a little bit. Mm. One having the valves open all the time, but that and that to me makes a huge difference mm. to the driving experience because it's just if you've been driving the car for a while, it's sort of okay. But that connection with your right foot, like blipping or whatever, mm. and the noise of the engine. It has to, in my eyes, it has to be a certain volume mm. before it really clicks yeah, okay. and sort of comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, great car. <laughs> the, <laughs> and I, and I, I, obviously I thought it was a good video as well. Oh, I had you. one of the questions, I've got a bunch of questions I'll get to a bit later, but one of the guys said, okay, if you had a choice of that RS or 991.2 GT3 manual, obviously, mm. what would you go for? Oh, good question. I think we're going to do the five-car garage thing later. I think you normally do it, that, it normally comes up, yeah. And what, so one of one of my five is a GT3 Touring. So yes. I, I don't know if you mean Touring specifically, but... That could I, be Touring. Yeah, I, oh, I do love the Touring, and you could easily use that car every day. Mm-hmm. You put a lot of miles on it, which maybe you don't want to do, but you could use it every day. And this isn't a world where you've got this car no. that you're enjoying, so... Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a very good question. What would I have... I think if it, if it was a, just a fun car, weekend car, it has to be the RS, you know, because that is... Yeah. It, Half an hour drive, that car is better than the other car. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. I actually prefer the way the Touring looks, you know, without the wing, and it yeah. just looks a bit more discreet, a bit more subtly muscular. If I was to get a, a 991, it would ha- I would prefer to have the Touring. If mm. I could order one, yeah. I would have ordered the Touring. Absolutely. That, that, that's what I would have. Uh, I'd love to use the Touring every day, but as a weekend car... 
No, it's that RS. An a- absolute high point, that thing. It's, it's good. God damn, you've got one. <laughs> <laughs> but like at the moment, I've, I've been back and forth for ages whether I sell it or not. Um, really? Just because I don't use it. It's tough, isn't it? It's, it must be... A, uh, oh, it's not tough, let's not use it's, that word. No, 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 it's full-on full on first-world problem. <laughs> yeah. But I know if if I had a Gen 2 991 GT3, mm. I would use it more specifically, and I even thought the other day, maybe I should just take the cage out. I don't know whether it's possible, but take mm. the cage out of my RS mm. so that you can access that space. And use that more. space, yeah. Um, just, it's just, it's really like mundane shit that people go, that doesn't matter, what are you talking about? It's mm. about the driving. But like little things like you can put two airline-sized bags in the front of a 991, you cannot in a 997, mm. which... You're like, so what? But it matters. It matters, and it, it actually it, stops me using that car. If it means you don't use the car, then yeah, you, you, you get you don't get a great deal of enjoyment from a car that you don't use. You no. know, maybe looking at it from time to time or knowing that it's in the garage. But no, we're all drivers. That's what we're yeah. into. And if you're not using it, then yeah, yeah, I totally understand. So you have bought a <laughs> car recently? Yeah, six weeks ago I took delivery of it. A, a Thunder Grey Alpine A110 Pure. It's outside at the moment. Oh, I'm, I'll have to come and have a look. I'm very finished. pleased with it. Yeah, it's it's a cool little thing. What made you one order a you know order a new car and go mm. for the Alpine? I've not driven it, so I can't. It's a it's a have really to tell me about it. It's a really cool little thing. So throughout my career as a car journalist, I, I, I've tended to have what are called long term test cars. Mm. And it's such that's, a, that's the dream. It's such a jammy situation to be in. It, it's it, it's effectively a loan car, but you have it for six months or you have it for a year. And it's your car to use. You don't pay any of the bills. And the quid pro, pro quo is that you you give the manufacturing question some coverage in the magazine or wherever you're writing <laughs> like about it. a month or something. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I can't, I, yeah, I'm still staggered that it happens, frankly. And actually, the, the funny thing about it is I've been lucky enough to run some really cool long-term test cars i had a golf r and i've had an m4 and i've had an r8 spider and oh these are good some great stuff interesting stuff yeah and it's it's such a privileged position to be in but there's no emotional connection to that car yeah you don't own it you haven't worked hard to buy it so ultimately you you hand it back and you just move into the next one and you you don't think about it again you know mm-hmm. and so i i my work situation changed and i didn't have a long-termer and i wanted to buy a car and i one of the big things about being a, a car guy, a petrol head, is the ownership experience and the highs and lows and having a big bill come in that you've got to find the money for, but then getting a real kick out of that car being yours. You know, that's that's what it's all about, really. And I'd be missing out on that for a long time. It is very different. Yeah, it's 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 totally different. And I'm I'm so glad I've done it because the way that you think about a car that you own and where you leave it and you know, how you use it and which car parks you take it in and all that stuff. It just, you, you, you have to reset and it's, it just makes you connect with that car in a very different way. So I needed a car. I've got a mate called Stephen who works at Top Gear magazine. And I've got a message on my phone. And I, I sent, I was still trying to work out what I was going to buy. And I sent him a message saying, I reckon I've got five grand budget. I'm thinking hot hatch. What do you reckon? And I, he sent me a couple of suggestions and I, I didn't speak to him for a little while. And next time I've spoken to him, <clears throat> I'd up the budget by a factor of 10 and put down a deposit <laughs> on an Alpine. As, you know, it's a That's proper, a classic buyer's experience for most people. Yeah, it was a bit of man maths and some mission creep. And I found myself <laughs> having ordered this 
fifty grand car, which I, yeah, I didn't really have any intention of buying a fifty grand car. It just sort of worked that way. But I, I did it because I, I love them. I'd spent plenty of time driving them, and they're it's exactly what I need right now. I don't have kids. I don't have any any dependents. You know, I don't. I often have test cars in for a week, so I'm I'm not going to be just caning it up and down the motorway yeah. and using it in a way it's not designed to be so used. Is this your sole car? Yeah, it's the the one car that I have, but I have test cars in for a week yeah. at a time. Yeah, and so I I really loved it because it's well it, it it suits me at the moment. It really does suit what I want from a car. But the big thing about it is it it's a modern car with modern hopefully reliability, modern safety, modern modern infot- modern ish infotainment all the rest of it, usability. But it harnesses many of the attributes of older sports cars that make them so great to drive. And it's the only one, the only modern car on sale that really does that. Really? So it's small, it's light. It doesn't have loads of tyre on the road, so it's not yeah. stuck to the road so much that it doesn't ever move around. There's lots of body roll, lots of heave up and down. So it feels like a classic car with modern surroundings. And that, for me, is the is the genius of it. And at a time when everything's getting bigger, heavier, more powerful, stiffer. more complicated, stiffer, here's a car that comes and undoes that trend and says, no, 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 that's all going in the wrong direction. Let's get back to basics and just make a safe, modern, reliable car that's really brilliant to drive at all speeds. That's what's good about it. And that's ultimately why I bought one. Awesome. <laughs> does that make sense was that yeah enough? yeah totally i think that's that's pretty good do you oh, I think the big question everyone always says is, is the gearbox in that car yeah um, but yeah. having not driven it but also you know I, I i love a manual shift as much as anyone um i, I tend to find that when i'm driving a car with a, a really effective paddle shift gearbox I don't miss the manual. I'm, I'm never going... I'm, I'm not driving along thinking, oh, this would be 10% yeah. better if I had a manual. However, if I only ever drove one car, I would absolutely miss having a manual gearbox. Yeah. So I'm in a very lucky position that I get to drive manual stuff all the time. So I'm quite happy with my the car that I own having a paddle shift gearbox. Yeah. Maybe a different question if it was the only thing I ever drove. Well, that's, that is exactly why, you know, when someone asks you what car should they get, Mm. everyone's situation is completely different. Like you're in a very u- unique or ish yeah. situation where you get to drive lots of stuff mm. all the time. So I think it's is quite telling generally what people actually buy for themselves yeah. in those scenarios. And yeah, a lot of journalists end up having similar sorts of cars that they have mm. because you get to drive all this crazy whatever. Yeah, and also, you know, a lot, a lot of these guys have long-term test cars that they... They do their motorway miles on, which exactly. means which means you can have a nine nine six, and every other journalist in this country has a nine nine six. Most of them parked around the back of some workshop somewhere without an engine in them because they've got massive bills. Which is pretty much why I decided I wanted to buy a new car with a warranty, yeah. rather than stick half that money into an older one that is about could to go just bang. stop working. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's there's a lot to be said for having a warranty. Yeah, and yeah, so you've had it for six weeks. Six weeks, about sixteen hundred miles. Have you, um, you modified it in any way? Not that there's probably any modifying to do. It's had um, Litchfield's paint protection spray on it. Okay, which it's similar to paint protection film, but it's sprayed on, which just protects the paint. You know, yeah. I, I I was so worried about stone chips because 
I drove that car out of the showroom with 25 miles on it, and I'm still not quite over this. And I, it was almost gutting to drive out onto the road where there's grit and mud and salt yeah. and other road People users. People driving past you. Yeah, and I was, like, looking at it thinking, it's never going to be this clean again. I don't tend to care about the way my cars look, but yeah. when, when it's that pristine, you think, oh, God, I really want to protect that somehow. So Litchfield stuff helps, helps to do that, but I'm, I'm allowing myself to relax into the fact that it's a car and it, it lives outside and it gets driven on the road. And it's not going to be perfect forever. And I'm almost waiting for that first sort of bit of wear and tear. And then, then I can just go, oh, it's done. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That, that bit of tension that you don't even know is there. Oh, man, it's real. Away. I heard some awful story of, it was a salesman saying, I can't, it just sounds so ridiculous, it can't be true. But I feel like it, it I was convinced. He was saying this customer, whenever he buys a new car, just comes in and then just gets his key and just goes like... <laughs> Just like a little, at some because point in the bodywork, and he's like, "Yeah, now it's, it's now I can relax. Now. It's imperfect now. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't do that, but I understand it. Yeah. yeah so this is what this is like. This is why I wanted to buy a new car because I understand that now about buying a new car. You know, and that it ultimately makes me a better and more empathetic journalist. You know, yeah. I understand that part of the, the buying process now. Yeah, which and is kind it of is. what it's all about. It's sort of, and we've been massively desensitized to buying new cars because. You know, very publicly, loads mm. of people just buy new cars. Yeah. Well, loads of people buy new cars anyway, but more people showcase it on the internet. Well, and, and also the way that we, we buy cars has changed, so we're changing them every two or three years. So it has it, it has become less of a, a sort of life moment, less of a, a milestone in your life, but but not for me, you know. This is the yeah. fir- first new car I've bought, and so it's, it feels like a really big deal. And after six weeks, that hasn't changed. Yeah, it's really special buying it. The first new car I bought was a Boxster, mm. and oh, I love that thing. And, and yeah, good, you, good, good car, I- inferior to an A110. But it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a commendable thing. No, I, I, I was I, because of what I do. I was so jammy, and I know I know the guys at Alpine quite well. And I was I managed to talk my way into the factory to see my car being built. Oh, awesome! Which is not something they currently offer as a service to customers but i think two customers have seen their cars in build one because he was doing the factory tour which you can do yeah and by fluke his car was on the line and then and then me and so i've gone through this whole process of reserving my car through the app which is what you do with them Uh, and then you spec it and i spec the car exactly the way i wanted it with bearing in mind the very real financial Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
constraints that I had. And then I, you know, I've gone through the process of waiting for it to go into build, going to the factory and seeing it and being able to sort of touch it. And they let me sign the rear bumper support, which really made it feel real, like my car. Yeah. And then a few weeks later, I'm off to the dealership and collecting it. So the, the whole process has been has been really good fun. And now I'm sort of getting into... It took a little while. It took about a month to run it in. Now it's run in and I'm just getting on with enjoying the car the way it's supposed to be. That's enjoyed. awesome. It's such a cool way of doing it, of going to see it built and yeah. then all that stuff. Something that I've always thought is slightly amusing is when I see in magazines, people have got these long-term price cars and then there'll be a segment about talking about specking it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, it could be a... Bentley Continental or a <laughs> McLaren 650S or something. And like, oh, I decided I'd go for the ceramics for the blah, 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 blah. And it's, <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous thing because everybody knows they haven't paid for any of this stuff. So it's a bit of, it's a, bit of a farce. The, yeah, I, I understand it. That It would be hilarious to go in and spec it with nothing at all because the manufacturer would hate it knowing yeah. that they've got this car on their press fleet that no one's going to be interested yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. But... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit transparent. All that stuff, I, just, I just find it quite, it's just a quite an amusing thing, isn't it? <laughs> I decided to go for the, the fleck paint and the ceramic yeah. brakes and the 21s because, yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't paying for a bloody thing. Yeah. And then, and then a, a sort of counterpoint of, or an, an alternative point to that is when you come across cars that dealers have specced, and often you'll see these cars for sale that just are horrific. Or like, you know, something like who genuinely specs a GT3 RS without aircon? Yeah. No one. <clears throat> yeah. Like, no oh, I, one. I can tell you who specs those. <laughs> press department. Pre- press department because it makes it lighter. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, you know, it's so easy to to laugh, but there, there are certain press offices who spec their cars in quite flamboyant colours and yeah. perhaps with interior trim that clashes with the exterior paint. And you go, who's done that? That's not very tasteful. But the point of those cars is to leap out of the page yeah. and to look great on video. And that's what they do. They so, do. You know, that they serve a very specific role, those cars. They do, they do. I mean, it's just sometimes you see, you know, cars specced with all this crazy stuff and then, like, not heated seats or something. And, you know, like, when it comes around to selling the car, people are just like, that's a bit... It's a bit rogue. And then so often nowadays on press launches, what was the most recent one? That that new Ferrari that came out. I've just forgotten its name. Tributo F8? No, 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 no. Came out like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Roma. The Roma. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the problem with someone who's into cars. Can't even remember. That it's too much, car. There's just too, too much. much. <laughs> that was released. The I think the press photos were silver mm. in a silverish landscape. And then it was silver, there was a white one, and then there's another one. Mm. I, I do not understand why all launch cars are not a bright, interesting mm. colour, or at least an interesting colour, mm. so that when people take photos of them, when you see them in videos, all of this stuff, mm. it doesn't just look beige. Yeah. Well, fair play to Aston Martin with the Vantage. They had that wild highlighter green oh, kind of colour. They did. You know, and it's it's not a classic Aston Martin colour by any means, quite the opposite. But bloody hell, it made you look and it, it really makes the car pop, which is actually what those those launch edition cars are all about. They need, you know? they need to do it. Mm. Um, we had one of the trips we did to Sweden, Audi Lenders and R8, and we had a, a bright, it was like that reddy orange kind of colour. Yeah, yeah. And a bunch of other people, other 
people brought cars and we had loads of white cars, we had some black cars, we had some grey cars and you're in the snow and you're like, these things just look like, might as well not be there, guys. Well, go back to that <clears throat> Evo Car of the Year 2015 cover shot. The, the, the colours of the cars really make that shot. You've got bright yellows and reds and oranges and yeah, greens. super colourful. And it, 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 they, they look like a load of Skittles lined up on the bridge. Fantastic. And then... You know, a mate of mine recreated that shot with a load of his mate's cars and all greys and blacks. Oh, yeah. it's, it's just not quite the same, It really. just doesn't look quite the same. I've done a couple of car rallies as a photographer mm. and it's so funny, different sort of like different parts of the world and the colour palettes on their cars. At UK, we, a bit less so now, but we have a lot of like tame looking cars because mm. people just kind of want to blend in, whatever. And then I did this this rally with a bunch of guys from the UAE and they came over to Europe and it was unbelievable because mm. it was just a crazy bunch of cars. So the S- the Ventador SV was the current car that had come out sort of thing and I think we had five Ventador SVs and they were all in high- like crazy highlighted colours and then like four Specialis all in crazy colours and it's just that skittle effect was amazing. It makes all the difference in pictures. I'm a total hypocrite when it comes to this, not least because my Alpine is grey. <laughs> I guess in my defence, when I ordered, and I still think it's the case, they didn't offer, uh, you know, a really wide range of colours. What colours can you get? N- nothing really punchy. There's the there's the blue, which is the sort of signature colour, and I didn't want that because it's, it's very familiar. You see it, yeah, all, you see it all the time. In, certainly in the magazines and stuff. And then there's black, white, there's a dark blue. There's the grey I've got. Um, I'm maybe missing one, but they're they're all quite muted tones. Um, yeah, it's the only bright one there really is. The, is, is, is the, the blue. blue? Yeah, and I I wanted I I was torn about about it for a while, and I, I ultimately went grey because a it suits the car, it does look good, but also well, and and they don't offer anything lively, really lively. Even so, if if there was like a a bright orange on there, I think I might still be conservative with my colour choice simply because it's the first time I've spec'd a car and it's been built for me and I've owned a brand new car and I I didn't want anything about it I didn't want to be doubtful about any of those decisions yeah. you know I didn't ever want to look at it and go yeah it's cool oh, I'm not sure about the orange though yeah you know I, I wanted to play it safe for this this first one and just be able to enjoy it as you know to its to its fullest I think next time, as long as the manufacturer off- offers it, I'll go. I'll go a bit punchy. Yeah. Just because you see more and more and more grey cars, and so when you do see something that stands out, you do go, "Wow, that's cool." Mm. And I think of all the black, white, grey, mm, the monochromes, like, that colour grey, which I had an M2 in that colour. Mm. I love that colour on cars. Yeah. I think it shows the lines up really well. It looks nice. It hides dirt pretty well. Mm. Like way better than black. Yeah. But like, yeah, like you said, like it's it's kind of annoying when you park up in a street and then it just melts into. I know it, design-wise <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't, but it just melts into all of the other yeah, yeah, it is. The cars. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's, I totally, totally get it. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, it does look good. I think, I th- as I said, I think next time I'll, I'll be a little bit braver. And I, I, whenever I see a car specced in a, a bright, like a turquoise or something, I yeah. do just go fair play yeah you know good on you good on you i'm i'm gonna do that one then. and and like you said i think you know, a lot of it comes down to the manufacturers these days like not mm. offering that many that many color options as mm. well like you get what was it i think it was when you look at crazy crazy stuff like the 
Laugh Aperta. Mm. I think it came in five colours. Yeah. Like two of which were red. Mm. A yellow, a white, and like a black or something. Yeah, that's And pretty, that's it. it. And you're like, well... And I think with those ones, they did this weird thing where you weren't allowed to spec another colour. What they did is they then painted them in one of those colours. Mm. And then people had them painted again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was going to happen anyway. Why, why not be the the the, the company that uh, you know brings in that? I'm sure it's thousands of pounds to repaint a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not do that yourself? Or just if you're if you're gonna with that, I, I believe those cars go from Ferrari to Zanassi, which is kind of like mm. the Ferrari, not Ferrari body shop down the road, and then get painted. But you're like, why don't you just send them the unpainted car? Mm. Just send them the unpainted car. Yeah, They'll paint it first time in. It does seem a shame. Forty grand or whatever. I suppose it's a it's a brand thing for them, isn't it? They're trying to protect the way the cars look and they don't want p- people driving around in a, a pink lass of Perta, you know it's, that's probably not really good for ferrari yeah. when people do that and i think there was part of that was also production they can just if they've got four colors or whatever they can just fire out i'm sure that's the the, the truth of it and that, perhaps that's the same with the a110 you know maybe maybe it's just a manufacturing capability and it's I, i'm sure it gets exponentially complicated more complicated to offer a really wide color palette Definitely. than just a handful and Marketing-wise, obviously, then in a year's time when they release the S or whatever, mm. they can come in different colours. Yeah, and they've they and they've done that. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So you don't give away everything straight away, do you? You know, you keep yeah. something in your pocket. Yeah, I, I remember when I when I got the Boxster, I wanted the sports exhaust, mm. but Porsche did this stupid thing where the sports exhaust wasn't available for the first six months. Mm. So like, yeah. they, I don't know whether it still happens so much now, but where options become available further down the line. Like guys, like stop screwing over your customers. That's probably, yeah, that's probably a, a production logistical thing, isn't it? But that must be bloody annoying if you, you know you're first in the queue. You've, yeah. you've been you've shown that much enthusiasm for the car that you're right there at the front of the queue, and you can't have the thing you want. And you can't like a sports exhaust. It's not exactly a crazy no. random no. option on a sports car. How difficult can it be? Just get some <laughs> bloke round the corner yeah. to sling on the sports exhaust. Exactly. And carry on. Job done. <laughs> um, have you done any? A motorsport. Oh, I had the chance yeah, to man. do some. Yeah, I know you do some racing. I've not done as much as I would like, but all, all through I mean, Evo. Like yeah, all through Evo. I I did my first race with them at the end of 2014, which was the Race of Remembrance, the Mission Motorsport oh, event. What were you in? A little MX-5, um, a Jota MX-5, which is a brilliant little thing. And yeah, Anglesey Circuit. Oh, God, that was an incredible weekend. The the event itself is amazing because of what it stands for and what goes on. It's if people don't know, the race of remembrance is is well, Mission Motorsport exists to help people who have come out of the military, injured servicemen and women, whether it's physical or emotional injuries, to uh, retrain and recover and start a new life in the civilian world. It, it does amazing work, and this race is kind of the the centerpiece of their calendar. And so through Evo, I was invited to go and take part. And quite apart from it being this incredible event with some amazing, really inspirational people around, it was also the first time I'd ever raced. Something <laughs> I'd wanted to do for a long time. I'm sure you remember your first race. Yeah, yeah. Nervous wreck. Unbelievable. Unlimited number of toilet stops before you get in the car. <laughs> and That doesn't change. No, no, it doesn't. And then even when you're about to get in the car and you've had a wee five minutes ago, you're desperate to go for a wee <laughs> and you think, what's going on? Nerves like I've never felt before so nervous i worried i wouldn't be able to physically operate a motor vehicle but then you get in it you get out on track and the moment you leave the pit lane all that fades and you just get on with driving and it's it's the purest form of driving you know and it just makes you think actually that 
all this stuff we do on the road. It's a bit of a waste of time. And yeah, I just I just had the most amazing weekend. Actually, one of the the coolest sort of two or three minute moments sessions I've ever had in a car was wet qualifying around Anglesey Circuit in my first ever race weekend. That's quite full on. Yeah, busy circuit, tucked in behind a couple of other cars, similar sort of pace. Spray coming up off them onto my screen. Couldn't see a thing, but you can see their rear lights. And so you just find this level that you you couldn't operate at if you were just doing a track day, you know, because you're racing, you've got your overalls on, it's motorsport. Yeah. So without trying to, you, you raise your game to this level. And whereas on a track day, if you couldn't see anything, only lights, and you didn't couldn't see where the corners were coming, you'd back right out you of it. You backed out ages ago, yeah. Yeah, but because you're racing, you don't want to lose time. You just go, okay, well, I'll turn in when he turns in and I'll just, I'll break when he breaks. And you just find yourself doing stuff that you'd never normally have the balls to do, which is why motorsport is so special. It is unbelievable. Mm. And then again through Evo, got to race in the mini challenge, which is... All right, yeah. It's a feeder series to the British Touring Car Championship. You know, it's quite it's, a serious series, isn't it? It's really serious. And it was my second ever race weekend <laughs> at Brands Hatch GP. That was proper in at the deep end stuff. And it's a Blanc Pan weekend. So there's a big crowd there. I got this opportunity to, to drive this thing. And I subsequently raced it two more times. And it was just fantastic. It's a mini touring car. And the, the grid, I mean, there's so much talent on that grid, but also young, hot headed racers yeah. determined to prove themselves. I witnessed a lot of crashing, a lot of crashing, which is. Mm. As long as no one gets hurt. It's quite good when cars in front of you spin off and get stuck in gravel because oh, you're yeah, moving you up the order. Yeah. I'm doing all right. Attrition here. is working. Exactly. Yeah. If you just stay on the black stuff, you're gonna you're gonna do quite well. Had you had you driven slicks before then? So for the first time at Anglesey. Yeah. Uh no, I'm sure I'd driven on slicks before, had I? Maybe just testing something. I don't know. But yeah, the mini was on slicks on a warm <clears throat> sort of spring day. So had a, a well rubbered in circuit and the grip is just unlike anything else. And you realise how compromised a road tyre on circuit uh, is. Yeah. Even a really good one, you know, it's... Yeah, even a phenomenal one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nothing like a, a chewy, soft, slick tyre on a warm, dry surface. It just bites. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, it, it was massively good fun racing that thing around. And w- what's rewarding is that you get better and better throughout the weekend. You know, you're in the car maybe five times if you've got two races, practice, qualifying... And every time you get in the car, you go a bit faster and you you manage to do something that you weren't doing earlier in the weekend. Yeah, it's, You follow someone who's like a bit quick and you're like, okay, I'm going to break when they break. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you just somehow find the nerve to do it. And you come out, even if you finished 16th out of 20 cars, you just go, that was fantastic. And you realise that your quickest lap was within a second of the, the quickest lap of the race. I know in motorsport a second is a long time. No, but that's pretty but look close. At, look at the second hand on your watch and tell me a second is a long time. It's not, you know. Yeah. So I, I know if you want to win races and be competitive, it is. But to to find yourself that's at quick. a point where you're you're hustling a car around the track, broadly on the pace, it's so rewarding, you know. And fighting with other cars, wherever you are in the pack, it's the, it's it's you get to know the characters yeah, that you're yeah, racing yeah. with and like how people do certain things. And it's amazing how quickly you pick up how, well, one, if someone's like not right, you mm. can tell like, uh-uh, Avoid I, him. I need to be not near this person because they're doing some weird shit. One of the, one of the great things about motorsports or club level amateur motorsport is that 
everybody comes away with a story that weekend of something heroic that they've <laughs> somehow done that no one else noticed. You know, they gave it a big send around the outside of Craner Curves or something, and no one's seen it, but you're going, oh, my God, I just did that. Yeah. How did I do that? And that's why, that's why racing is just so special. It is. And there's sort of a point you said earlier, how it almost ruins road cars. Mm. And I, I feel like this is happening to me. Mm. Like slowly over time one part of it is because i live in london yeah so i don't have a great opportunity to drive really interesting roads very often anyway and then so often you get to an interesting road and there's traffic and you mm. can't drive that fast and you can't really drive true on the limit like you do on a track i definitely am slowly getting to this sort of thing where i'm like well i'd rather just spend more time on track mm. ideally racing but more time on track mm. fully like on it Absolutely, absolutely agree. And, and <clears throat> you know, as attitudes towards cars change, as they're, as they're electrified, as they're monitored by GPS, that, that's increasingly going to happen. Yeah. And so, oh, it's a depressing thought, isn't that's it? That's depressing. <laughs> but you can just buy a 2000 car from 2010 or... Well, exactly. And that's, 1950. That, that's what will happen. People will suddenly value those cars more than more recent ones. But that, that's why it's increasingly important to me that a car is fun to drive or special even when you're just driving through town. That's and like the most important thing. It's the it? most important thing, increasingly important. You know, if, if a car is only exciting when you're in on the B4391 between Bala and Festiniog in North Wales, okay, best road in the UK outside of Scotland, if it's only good then on a sunny day when the road's empty, when you, know, you might do that twice a year if you really yeah. put the effort in. So a car has to, it has to feel, without driving or while driving, well within the limits of the road and the speed limit of the road, it has to feel special. You have to feel like you're in something engaging. And there aren't too many cars that do that, but the ones that do are, are very special. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something as like, yourself as a, a road, had been an you know, extensive mm. road tester, it must be difficult not to get in every car and go, okay, I'm going to drive an amazing road, and how was it on that amazing road? And then sort of sum up the entire car by that. Mm, because that's I, a good point. I regularly, and I'm much less so now, sort of judge people by the cars they've chosen to buy or drive. Mm. I mean, how can you not? Because mm, yeah, you have course. all assumptions about various people and whatever and how they choose to drive. But I'm now looking at different cars as interesting because of, like, a car I would love to spend some time with is a V12 Vantage. Mm, great car. Like... These car- various cars that deliver... Like, I totally get why someone buys, like, a Lamborghini Huracan. Mm. Like, okay, maybe you... Well, you can't drive that fast on the road anyway. And when you're cruising around, it is an experience. Mm. I, I wouldn't buy one personally, but... Because it's just not me. There are, there, are some, <clears throat> there are some cars that you only buy if, you really, if you're really into the subject matter. Yeah. You know, that's a fact. It, a, a Lamborghini and a Ferrari, sadly, will appeal to people who actually don't have an interest in cars... Also, people who love cars, you know, yeah. but it does appeal to a type of person who isn't really into the subject matter. They just want to be seen or they've got all the cash in the world and they and they can have one. But on the flip side, there are other cars that and I think my A110 is one of those. Yeah, nobody, nobody buys it to be looked at and to get attention, because if that's if that's what you'd want, you'd have a 911 or, or something else. Yeah. Um, so there are certain cars that just kind of tick a box or ring an alarm bell and you just go. He's into it. Yeah, you see certain cars in someone's <clears throat> in their garage or yeah. that they rave about, and you're like, hey, I think, I think they get it. They understand. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, and then there are other cars. So you just go, okay. Do you really love driving it, or are you just gonna? Yeah, you know. Like I remember one of my friends. He he's he he loves cars, but he fully admit that he likes driving along, smoking a cigarette, and that's why he wants a PDK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how, you can't argue with that, can you? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Like, fine. He's like. <laughs> Uh, it's just too much effort to be changing gear all the time. You're like, yeah, I get that. Like, well, also, you know, I'm, I might tell people that they're, I don't know, limp-wristed if they, if they spec the PDK option uh, rather than having the manual. But if you live in town or if you're up and down 100%. busy motorways the whole time, I don't want to be driving a manual car. No. Who does? You know? Exactly. No, it's, we, all, it's... We, we need to be a bit careful about all that stuff because it's easy just to, to leap to conclusions and judge people on film. It is, and it, it, I think it's very easy to sort of almost you put yourself in a different category to other people and go mm. like i know more and therefore my decision my opinion is worth more than yours because i've driven more cars or whatever yeah whereas actually for for car manufacturers it's about who goes and buys the car yeah we all have to check up on paucity don't we and understand that people enjoy cars for very very different reasons yeah and they mean so many different things mm. yeah to different people no and question that in itself no, none is equally more important than another. No, no, exactly right. And I, you know, I, I, I don't. I try not to leap to a conclusion about anyone based on that sort of stuff. Hmm. But you do a bit, don't you? You do, <laughs> you do. <laughs> you do a bit. <laughs> you have to. You have to. And, it, and it, even if it's just down to a level of like, I think we'll probably get on. Like, I'll hang out with that person. Yeah. You can. You can make some pretty sound judgments based on like just general shit about yeah. people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I don't want necessarily want this to turn to a massive long list of things. Actually, before that, with this sort of blend of magazines mm. and now digital, you have you've started a, an Instagram. Yeah, oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Right, I'll, magazine. I'll, I'll get the plugin. <laughs> it, it's called Drive Nation, and it's, it, it lives on Instagram, and the handle is at Drive Nation underscore, and everyone should go and follow it. Yeah, so it's we call it a an Instagram-only car magazine, which is what it is. It's, it does everything that a digital car magazine would do, but in a format that works on Instagram. And so we review cars, we interview people, and we write news stories about cars, lots of opinion pieces, galleries. We, we do anything that you might find on a car website mm. repackaged into a way that works on Instagram. And I do it with a brilliant bloke called Andrew Frankel, who's... If he's not yet the godfather of car journalism in the UK, he will soon be considered that. You know, he's he's been doing it for 30 years. He's he's just fantastic at what he does. Bloody good driver. He'll give any other journalist a run for their money. He's got and he just he just loves the subject matter more than anybody else, encyclopedic knowledge. And so the one insightful thing I ever did was say to him, I've got this idea, do you want to do it with me? And he he was well up for it. And he, he's, he's just been fantastic. And we've built, you know, a, a re, it's not a huge following by any means, but it's a, a very sort of engaged and passionate following. We've got 25,000 or so followers, but they like what we do. They really like what we do. And what we're seeing is that the industry likes what we do. Other journalists like what we do. You know, people, people really think that it's, it's, it's a good idea and it's done well. And Andrew and I really enjoyed doing it. We're, we're realistic. We're, we're not using the platform Instagram in the way that's designed to be used. You know, it's if people are familiar with it or if they check it out, they'll see that we have a format where it's a picture slide and then the next slide will be a chunk of text. 
Instagram doesn't actually like that. That's that's not the way it's supposed to be used. Mm. But our audience likes it. And, you know, they seem to enjoy reading what we write. And so we've, we've got something there. We're onto something. And what we're starting to see is that there are, there are brands who realise that, that we're onto something, that we're doing something innovative and that we've got an engaged audience who trust what we say and they want to be a part of that. And so it's, it's bringing in, honestly, minuscule amounts of revenue, but it, yeah. it's, it's earning a little bit of money now. Haggerty UK is one of our main sponsors at the moment. They're, they're a big company. They're one of the biggest, oh, I think the biggest insurer for classic cars in the country. Okay, yeah. They're a great brand and they've been brilliant to work with. And, and so we're getting to a point where we've, we've built this thing, we've got our reputation, and people want to be associated with it. That's um, cool. Yeah, it's, we, we don't really know what it's, what it's going to do, how, yeah. how big it can be. It's not going to become enormous because we're not using the, the platform the way it's supposed to be used. Yeah. So it'll, it'll only ever grow to a certain size, but it doesn't need to be huge to make sense or to have some kind, I don't mean monetary value, but I mean to have some value. Yeah. It doesn't, we don't need a million followers. If we can get to a point where we have 50 plus, really 50,000 of the right people following us yeah. and interacting with what we do, we're onto something then. Yeah, I, it's quite interesting because it is very different to conventional yeah. stuff you see on, let's say, Instagram. Um, and I, I'll, just, I'll describe like a typical post. Yeah. It might be a, a review I saw... Uh, Andrew did one of the Senna GTR, I mm. think. And, you know, it's all in Instagram format. It's it's carousels and there'll be a bunch of pictures of the car, whatever. And then there'll be bite-sized sort of segments of text in the middle giving a summary of the car or whatever. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think it's quite... I, I, I like it. It's, it's neat. People, people seem to like it. And the thing about Andrew is that he's very, very good at saying in... So that post was about 300 words. That's yeah. not a lot, but he will leave you with a real impression of what that car's like and he'll be funny and interesting while he's doing it. And I try and do the same thing. So we're trying to convey a lot about these cars in a very, very short amount of reading time. And if you do it well, you, you can do it. You know, yeah. you, can, you can really tell people about a car and that's, that's what our audience likes. It's, it's really bite-sized, but hopefully it's well-written and it's informative. And, that, and that's what we're trying to do. The, the whole idea was there was car journalism as this 100-year-old thing, you yeah. know, and there was Instagram as this new thing that was enormous and nobody really was applying car journalism to Instagram, not in a, not in a really diligent professional way. And so that's what I wanted to do. And a year and a half later, that's hopefully what we're doing. So it's, it's fun. It's not going to make us rich but we we enjoy doing it and we're just going to see what it what becomes of it. Yeah. And the format looks like it's not it's relatively easy for you to put out the content without having to go to, you know. It's it's all done on my phone. Yeah, it, I I sometimes think we should have just done you know stuck to putting our content, our written content in the caption underneath because yeah. it would be a time saver. I think the algorithm actually likes that more. Right. But our format is what we're known for. Yeah. You know, it's recognizable. It's there aren't many other people doing it. And so I don't think we can change it now because it's, it's, well, you, it's kind of what people like. You can totally it. change it if you want. Well, maybe, maybe. But, I, I, but I, if it's I'm working, gl- I'm glad going. you said that because I do sometimes think I want to change it. But. And, and the best way is ask your audience. Yeah. And say, guys, you know, you could put up it in different ways, the yeah. text in the thing or mm. underneath and say, guys, which do you prefer? And they'll, they'll, the people that matter will yeah. tell you. 
And we, we've always tried to be very, very open with our audience and just tell them exactly why we're doing this and what we're hoping to get out of it. And, you know, and they've been super supportive. It's it's those guys who that are, are kind of modest but very committed group of followers who really make it. And I, I, if, if people do see what we what we put out there they must make sure they read the comments because we get some typical instagram comments and yeah. you know and then sometimes you have to respond to them in a fairly blunt way but by and large they're very very well considered comments coming from a, a, a point of real experience you know and and they add to the, the overall the editorial worth of of the thing yeah yeah it's 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 an interesting world all of this mm. how it's evolved and we were talking a bit before the podcast about the evolution of videos and magazines because yeah. I've always looked at, say, Evo magazine and at one point in time, the amount of video content being put out. And I know from <laughs> how yeah. the YouTube world works, from, from YouTube people and stuff, that that just doesn't make, financially, just doesn't make any sense. It's the return through YouTube itself is miserable it is miserable it's 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 peanuts really it it barely covers the fuel cost of a yeah. you know a long video shoot it's you have to find a way to monetize it otherwise you know be it with sponsorship with third parties or whatever but even so it it doesn't make a great deal of sense it only, you can only make it sustainable if you view it as a brand building exercise yeah. it's not going to wipe its own face which is why the, the car gurus thing for example yeah. or and car wow same thing you've got massive funding yeah. and it's their marketing budget where it's not necessarily yeah. an, another bit of content that has to pay for itself exactly right yeah you know, five person shoot or whatever for three days costs a ton of money the, the return is miserable the, the financial reward is miserable but you can reach millions of people you know it's, you can you can if if a post gets if a video gets picked up and goes viral, it can be seen by millions of people, which is an extraordinary thing. It's crazy. That that's what the internet has done for car journalism. You know, it's it's meant that magazines have had a harder time of it. You know, fewer people are picking up printed things, and advertisers are spending less to be in there. But we are now reaching an audience vastly bigger than we've ever mm. done before. Which there there has to be something worthwhile in that. It's just a shame that it doesn't. The current format is very tricky, I think, to to maintain. The yeah, so yeah, we were talking about this, and I, I I think I think what we'll see is even the established magazines there they've all got they've all got YouTube channels. I think we'll start to see a move towards more lo-fi video productions. You know, stuff that doesn't cost quite so much, but is every bit is entertaining, every bit is informative. Because it just costs too much money, and yeah. and and YouTube actually doesn't want it. It doesn't want super high production values, you know. And this is what the influence a lot. They absolutely mugged my crowd by realizing what it is that people actually want from these videos, and I think they've shown the way. If if you can shoot something on a little handheld camera and edit it yourself and send it up, actually, that's what YouTube wants you to do. Yeah. It's it it's a it's gonna it is a shame because I love mm. the high production value mm. like seriously well thought out shot filmed amazing videos that's like that's what got me into cars like those sorts of videos so hopefully uh, you're, you're you know, quite they'll right. still be out there you're quite right and if, if I think any magazines do you know pivot a little bit towards the stuff that's a bit easier to produce a bit 
more not so expensive to produce they have to now and again still pull out all the stops yeah. and make something really beautiful because they just have to remind the world that you know they're there and they can do it and yeah and this is how you can do stuff yeah and you, your audience will understand that they'll know that some of your videos you know you they're point and shoot and you you knock them out but when you give them something really special i think they'll respond to that yeah i think there was i can't remember what magazine it is in the states it's just changed from doing all the conventional launch type reviews and stuff like that in the Matchel magazine. And I think now all of those reviews just go straight on their website. Mm. And the magazine is standalone things that they've put together, comparing some certain stuff or taking a certain car to a certain place. And I think those are the ones that it's worth putting the effort into. The things that you go, this video is going to be... It, it, I mean, it may tank, but mm. it's it's a really cool concept done yeah. really well. Yeah. If you try and put a crazy production value into the launch of the next R8 or something like that, and it's done at the track and whatever, and there's 15 other videos... And it gets swamped in all of those. And it gets swamped and it'll yeah. just get dwarfed by whoever's the biggest and whoever gets it the quickest or whatever, then yeah. I think that's okay. Like, I'm completely fine with that because... Yeah from those launches i just want the opinion of the driver mm. and it not to look the video not to look awful also but. also frankly on those launches there isn't the time to shoot something really special yeah. mostly mostly there isn't the time to shoot something special so i think you have to accept that and then just knock it out and then when you when you get the car and you've got more time with it and you've got a great idea that no one else has got then you pull out all the stops and produce something really mm. beautiful for sure yeah, that's that. That is the way that it should be done. Do you feel pressure to start filming your own stuff and editing your own things? Not pressure. Or not necessarily pressure, or it might be. A yeah, possibly. I'd, I'm reluctant to because I'd I'd be starting from scratch, yeah. you know, with that stuff, and I I wouldn't really know how to do it. I, I, maybe it will happen. I I can see myself certainly shooting a little bit more. I'd always like to put the edit in the hands of someone who really knows what they're doing, but I think. I think if you just look at the trends, that that is the way that it's going. I, I hope I can keep working with these super talented videographers mm. that I work with, but you know, I'm I will always try and adapt to what the the, the mood of of the industry is. And and if actually you can only make it work by shooting yourself and editing yourself, then that's what I'll do. Yeah, it's it's quite a lonely thing going on one of these things and just doing it all by yourself. Mm. Like it's so great having a team of people mm. to hang out with like the, behind the camera the the freelancer's existence can be a, a kind of lonely thing you're not in an office you mostly work from home if you're not on a shoot or on a launch yeah. you don't have people just sat on the next desk to bounce ideas off so yeah just, I'm, I'm kind of used to to that sort of isolated way of working anyway so I was like, yeah maybe i'd be more sort of adaptable to it than i know do you um what does a week as dan prosser look like it's it's so varied that I, I can't really, you know, definitive answer to that, which is why it's so great. But probably two or three days working from home, writing and planning mm -hmm. and writing scripts, and then two or three days out on a launch or on a video shoot. When I was... My last year of Evo was just an, an incredible year, but we had a bit of a, de a depleted team at that point, so I was doing a lot of stuff i was doing back-to-back -back launches so maybe two launches in a week doing i think one january i did three long-haul trips to three different continents you'd 
your feet would touch the ground and then you'd be on the next plane off somewhere else. And it, it's amazing fun and you do the coolest stuff. Not sustainable. At the end of that year, I, I'm, I'm sure I was on the brink of getting poorly, you know, just through being tired, just through being on planes all the time and breathing yeah. that terrible air. So I, I, in some sense, I miss the, the mania of being on all those different events yeah. and interacting with all the people and driving all the latest cars. But I'm, I'm a much happier person now just doing a few of those and spending more time in the UK, more time at home. You, you're not driving all the latest stuff all the time, yeah. but it's a small price to pay. I think for sure. And I think, I think slightly longer term, now that there's this base of people that are producing content, obviously there's the magazines mm. and then the social media people, over time, as people are getting older, I'm sure there'll be younger people that come up that are willing to go to all the launches. But yeah. most of the people I know are really trying to work out how they can not spend all of their time on planes flying around for it, a half an hour drive it, it's you know you can't moan about it because it's such a privileged thing to do and everyone who works in the same office day after day doing a job they don't love would kill to do it i absolutely understand that but there's nothing glamorous about getting to an airport at six in the morning no. and then you know I, I remember in the good old days when every trip would be business class and you'd sit at the front mm. of the plane and you'd have plenty of space and you'd be comfortable it's not the way anymore so often you're sardined into the back of the plane and you're you know you're doing crazy hours and it, it it's not nothing like as glamorous as it seems so when people are trying to move away from that that mo that way of working into something a bit more stable i absolutely understand why and uh, it's a single man's game as well doing that stuff yeah, if you've got for sure if you've got a partner, never mind if you've got kids. You know, I've I have no idea how people with families manage to hold it together, but there are guys doing it and you know, all power to them, fair play to them. It seems uncrazily glamorous when you look at just, you know, people flying all over the world to drive a Lamborghini around a track and whatever. It, it, I mean, let's be real, it can it, be. It, and you you, and the, that's you, get, you get put up in amazing hotels, you get really looked after and you're doing cool stuff. But as with anything, you know, it, it, it starts to wear thin. It's, fuck, it's not something we should complain about at all, but I'm just being That's real. real though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's yeah. just, it is one of those things. Yeah. Right, I'm going to try and get through a couple of the questions people have asked. Okay. And then we'll do the sort of round it off. Okay, I'm not going to go for people's names. You know who you are <laughs> if you ask the question. 964RS or GT4? Who driven 964RS? No, I haven't. Um, love the GT4. It's a tricky comparison, isn't it? Because it depends entirely on how you're using it, the space you've got to keep them. It's like um, a modern car, old car thing. Yeah, exactly. G- give me 30 minutes on a great road in either car, and I'd have the 964 every time. Not driven one, but I, I would love to, and I'm sure it's an incredible experience. And I'm sure it would knock the GT4 for six in terms of engagement and the way you know the way it makes you feel. Yeah. You know, but. If you ha- if you're using it every day, there's just no- again there's no comparison. If it's your there? one car, yeah, it, yeah, it's got to be the GT4. It's going to be significantly more usable. I drove the Paul Stevens yeah. Club Sport mm. last week. That was that was awesome. Stuff um, stuff like that, you know, it's stuff that gives you that the the hit of a classic car, but with the, the some build of the and, modern the, stuff, and yeah. some of the modern stuff. That's absolutely at the at the apex now. That is that is what really gets me going, yeah. and you know, lots of other car buyers as well. It's it's a really interesting one because it made me think about all of these cars in that vein mm. and how they differ or don't differ. Mm. So I drove, yeah, I drove their car, which is a Club Sport, and I, I have a Backdate, yep. which is an SC, and that's 3.2 Carrera. So they're very, very similar base cars. And 
his car is double the price of my car mm. if you want to buy it. And and then you go up to like singer type thing. But fundamentally, my car drives very similar to mm. the Paul Stevens car. It's just the refinement you get around it. And my car, I imagine if if you just got an SC and did the suspension mm. and the engine upgrades, it would drive pretty much the same as my car. Yeah. But yet again, for half the price again. And I, I sort of think part of me has put these crazy, these things like singers and stuff like that on. Mm. Have you driven a singer? Briefly. Um, in my head, they're on this sort of like pedestal. And then, but having done this slight evolution, mm. I'm sort of bringing them back down again because I totally appreciate what they are. Mm. But on a very base level, a singer is a modified 964. Yeah. Restored like, 964. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very delicate position. Yeah. But yeah, oh, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you've, yeah, and you've changed the, the components, yeah, but yeah, yeah. fundamentally underneath, yeah. it, it is the same car. And you will get most of the experience of driving that car mm. by driving the first iteration of it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But I think they would say, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give you this experience oh. of, the, of the older car, but with, you know, a, a, in, in the case of Singer, a, a, this amazing styling, incredible engine, but they they want to preserve the the driving mm. character of the car because that's what ultimately is what is at the core of their appeal. You know, they they feel like older cars, but they're hopefully reliable and yeah, and more usable, fit and finish, and yeah, everything. fit and finish, incredible. They don't stink of petrol and and all the rest of it. So yeah, it's it's an interesting point. You there probably is a, a degree of I can't think of what the phrase is. So you, you're not guess, you're not getting twice the experience for double the money. But I suppose it doesn't really matter, does it? Because the people who are yeah. buying these cars have got some older ones anyway yeah. and they've got a whole bunch I, th- I, I thought it was... It's, it's definitely not taking away because I totally understand each point, each part of the, mm. the ladder and how they get the pricing and, mm. and all the stuff. Um, but I think it's, it's really nice for the people out there that go, I don't want to spend 600, yeah, I, yeah. 600 grand on a sink on an old Porsche. Oh, I could get a SC for, I don't know how much they are, 40, 30, mm. something like that. And modify that, and I will. You will get ninety percent of the experience. It's absolutely true. Yeah, it is true. I've got a couple of mates. Hello, hello, Ben. Hello, Adam. Who've got a three point two? I think it's a nineteen eighty six car, a nine eleven, and it's they bought it for twenty grand, and it's a proper basket case. Mm. And they've spent, I think, the last three years, and maybe the same money again, or a bit more, fully restoring it. And now they've got this beautiful thing that looks gorgeous. It's it looks stock, but. They're, you know, they're getting a good chunk of that sort of reimagined driving experience and a For thing sure. that's cost them 40k. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's a really great, like... You don't need to be spending half a mil. No. To get that hit. Not really. But that that era, that idea of car, like you are saying about the Alpine, it's, it's having tyres that aren't massive. Mm. Like, being able to feel the yeah. tyres working at, like, road speeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough performance that it feels quicker than most cars on the road, but not so much that you're you can't in fear of losing down. your licence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a car of the last decade? Oh, I don't want to say because it's yours. Um, That's right. <laughs> uh, well, a few standout ones. I don't know all ones. of them. <laughs> <laughs> True. A few standout ones. So your 907 GT3 RS. I do love the Cayman GT4. McLaren 675LT. Mm. A stunning car. A110 is up there, actually. You know, I... I, I love it. There isn't. I don't think there is one that that really stands head and shoulders uh, above the rest. But that little pocket of cars are the other. Yeah, I saw the big ones. A, an LT for sale for 
It was un, it's under 200 now. It was like 180 something. Bloody hell. Which is crazy. Oof, they're having a tough time, I think. They are, they are having a tough time. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is, that is astonishing value. I didn't know they were down to that. I, you wonder how far they can go, don't you? <laughs> I think they're going to keep going. There'll be a point. There will to get 100%. In and, there'll be a point at the bottom. Yeah. And then you've got an incredible car. The first amazing car that McLaren Automotive built bearing in mind that the F1 was not McLaren Automotive. Yeah. And it will, it will be remembered as, a, as an icon, I'm sure of it. The LT is something else in comparison to a normal 650S. Honestly. And it's why the step from 570S to 600LT wasn't so giant, because the 570S was a great car anyway. They've just turned up a few yeah. other dials. But from 650 to 675LT, they transformed that thing and finally understood that you can't plot all the things that make a car great on a spreadsheet. No. You know, yeah, they, and they, that was they a real it. step change. They went, okay, I don't know how they they put it on a spreadsheet <laughs> for yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they calculated yeah, sure. how to make it, yeah, yeah, yeah. how it's to McLaren. make it better. E thirty six or E forty six? Not spent a lot of time in E thirty sixes. I think forty six. I think they they look better. Um, I had a E thirty six three one eight IS, which was a total dog. Uh, it was a bit of a shed, but yeah, yeah, 46. I, I, I really love one, actually. It was absolutely on my list of cars when I got the A110. Hmm. And I'm sure I'll have one at some point. Manual really box, like 18s if you can find them. Not that, was it Phoenix Yellow? Is it that piss yellow? That's mm. dreadful. Yeah. yeah, not that <laughs> Some one. people love it, I, I don't. <laughs> but yeah, a CS if you can find one, That that's a stunning car. Yeah, I think they're, that's another one of those cars you go like, would you have an E46 M3? And if they're, yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's one of those cars you cross the road to see what gearbox it's got, don't you? Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> I, I think they're, they're awesome. What's next on the early morning drive series? Rise and drive. Good question. Nothing booked in at the moment. I'd like to. We've done a few German cars, so I, I want to dig out some Japanese and French stuff. It's it's slightly complicated by this time of year because manufacturers who and private owners who have these cars are understandably less willing to let them out at this time of year. Sure. But I want to get into Mitsubishi's Evo 6 Tommy Mackinac edition, Ooh. which is the coolest car. I love that thing. And what we try and do is take it, you know, time allowing, take it to a location or a road that suits the character of the car. Mm. So I want to get it up to North Wales onto actually some of the narrower roads up there that look like a tarmac rally stage and, yeah, give it a proper good blast. We're, we're going to try and make that one happen soon. That would be cool. That would be cool. Right, I'm slightly aware that I'm running out a little bit of time. So... Normally wrap these up with yeah. with five questions. It sounds like you've done a little bit of prep, so you know what one of them is. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Yes. So, Evo Car, the year 2015 again. I think it was towards the end of the event. I hadn't driven the McLaren 675LT yet because it, it was in proper demand and I couldn't get anywhere near its key. But towards the end of the event, um, I finally bagged it, pulled out of the hotel car park early morning behind... Marino Franchitti, great bloke, really good driver. He's a pro racing driver. He's really, really hot in a GT3 RS, a 997-1 GT3 RS. Uh, and he was in front. And he, once the cars had warmed up and we'd broken away from the rest of the crowd, the rest of the, the group, so it's just me and him. And I was driving this McLaren for the first time. Hadn't loved McLaren cars up until that point. And he just went off the leash. He just, he just gunned it. And A, I could hear him and see him having an amazing time. B, the roads were stunning. And C, I was driving this incredible car. 
And I can tell you that a Frankiti, particularly when a Frankiti is in Scotland driving a GT3 RS, it tends to move quite fast. And I had a faster car, and following is far easier than leading, so I could keep up with him. Mm. And we, it must have been for 30 miles or so on incredible roads, just sort just you know scything through this amazing part of scotland having this most incredible drive and then at the end as i alluded to earlier we got out and we just looked at each other shook our heads and just had a big hug and he was like that was the best drive of my life and i was like same and that will live with me forever you know that was so special awesome honorable mention for anglesey circuit in a caterham i did some caterham racing a couple of years ago last lap of the race a car right up my chuff. I was in third position, never before stood on a, on a podium in racing. And all I had to do was complete one lap and keep this car behind. And I cannot tell you how hard my heart was beating. <laughs> I was so tense, making little mistakes all over the place. I probably didn't breathe for a whole lap. And then held on to it, crossed the line in third, saw the flag, and then you just explode in your helmet. And I've never felt anything like it in a car. So those two are the are the ones that really stand awesome. out. Awesome. Awesome. Good times. Right. Next question. Five car garage. Unlimited value. Oh, it, uh, I know you do this, so I've been thinking about it long and hard. It's a tricky one. It doesn't make it easier. No, and it changes all the time. <laughs> okay, so I would have a, a Singer DLS. Okay. My girlfriend works with Singer. Does um, she? Yeah. She, so I know the, go, the guys there quite well. They're mm. cool guys. It's an amazing car, an amazing company. She, she's specifications director, so she, she's responsible for delivering the interior. She's an engineer. She's a car mm. engineer is what she does. So she works with the engineering team and suppliers and delivers the interior, but she also specs cars with clients. So she meets them and talks to them about That's what they want. Yeah, and it, it's, it's a really, really cool thing that she gets to do, but... It just means that I'm so invested in this car and I've seen it at Goodwood. I've seen the mules. I've chatted to Harris and to Marino about it. They're the test drivers. And I just think it's the coolest thing. So that would be my my really, really special car. Daily, I think I'd have a GT3 Touring because I don't need any more space than that at the moment. You yeah. can use it every day. Maybe change the tyres in winter if it's really, really crappy outside. But... I would just, I would love to knock around in one of those as my daily. Yeah. It would be the coolest thing. Then you'd have to have something old. I'd want, I'd want a really special classic. I'm thinking Ferrari 250, maybe a short wheelbase because it's maybe the prettiest car ever built. Unbelievable looking car. Unbelievable. Or a 275, just something like that. You, you wouldn't drive it fast or very often, but sometimes you'd take it out and leave it outside the restaurant and then yeah. see it out the window. You just go, <laughs> oh my God. So I've got my daily, I've got the the Singer, which would be an, an occasional use car, also a track car. You know, you could definitely track that thing. And I've got the classic. I'd have to have like a winter car or a long distance car or a, a work horse, yeah. which would be a Range Rover. I actually don't love SUVs and 4x4s, but I'll make an exception for the Range Rover because it's such a great all-rounder. It's a luxury it's car and a, and a kind of dirt all, all car. And that over a wagon. Yeah, well, it's that or an, or an RS6, but I think Goy had an RS6, so I need to go for the... <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Alex. So I need, I, need to, I need to go for the Range Rover. But, yeah, that would probably change after 12 months to an RS6 or something similar. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I've got That's those what... four cars, and then I'd need something I can race. For sure. You absolutely need something you can race. 
Okay. And what would you race? Well, at the moment, for the first year or two, it would be something that I could race at Goodwood. Okay. So it would be, I'm thinking the pre, is it pre-66 touring cars. So something like a, uh, like a Cortina, a Lotus Cortina yeah. or one of the little Alphas. And I'd go to Goodwood with it and I'd have... A well of a time. I'd have two or three of my best mates there and we'd, we'd share the driving as much as we could and we'd just have the best fun. And then at some point I would change to something modern and quick with a bit of downforce, maybe like a Radical, or uh, maybe do some GT racing yeah, or a little bit of touring car racing. And then maybe I'd do some rallying. So the, the competition car would, I change. think, change every year or two. 100%. And then between those five... You're sorted. What do you reckon? I think that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be a happy boy with those. That's pretty good. That's pretty, I mean, that's, that's pretty similar to what I would have yeah. if I had to pick five cars. I think you're covering a lot of bases with those. Yeah, and you, and you have to have a race car. Got, People you, that don't have a race car. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe you should have one Range Rover and then four race cars. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's For the way all your different it. categories yeah, yeah, of yeah. all these events. So, yeah, every weekend you're in something different. When I was at Paul Ricard a couple of weeks ago for the Peter Auto event down mm. there, you can walk past some of these garages that, and, you know, someone's flown in on their jet and then they've got five cars lined up and it's like Daytona Coupe and then like <laughs> some kind of Le Mans prototype from 2008 yeah. and then like a prototype from the 50s yeah, and they're yeah, just yeah. like lined up and they're like, yeah, well, I've got five of them so because I don't have much time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only weekend I've got. It's so the only weekend I've got. So, and then they finish up, and then they get back on their jet, and they yeah. fly. Like, wow, that is super cool. But yeah, imagine the lives those people are leading. I bet they're boardroom after boardroom, and yeah, yeah. I don't. I, you look at it and go, I'd like to do that for a weekend, mm. but I don't know whether I'd just day to day want to do their life. There's a lot of BS and a lot of stress that goes with it. I- income is proportional to stress. By and large, you know, you're... Yeah, I think there's a, a... When you've got zero income, there's high stress. That's true. And then yeah, the, so it like gets a, to a middle bit and it comes down and then yeah, it yeah, probably yeah. goes up. It's like an upside down bell curve or something, isn't it? You start worrying about really mundane stuff, like what to do with your G3 RS. That's difficult, man. It's really difficult. <laughs> okay, if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh. G3 Touring is a good shout. Um... I think maybe the RS that you've got is a good shout. I, it, it has to be something special. I mean, the temptation is to go with something that would just be effortless every day, but you, you'd get bored. You would get bored. It needs to be something a bit harder-edged, you know. And it's predictable, man. It's so obvious, but a 911, particularly a more hardcore... It's got to be a 911 for me. You can't really argue with them, can you? No. They do it. They do it all. Yeah. People get so bored with hearing that over and over again. But even now in 2019, there isn't a great deal that compares with the usability and performance and excitement of a 911 GT3. No. There still isn't much out there. get a manual one. Yeah. All the, all the sort of everyday infotainment kit that you need. And- exactly. It does that. It ticks that box so well. Mm. And there is a reason yeah. why people have, who've sort of been in the car game for a long time, whether it's, you know, you just own loads of cars over time. Most people have a 911 mm. at some point as part of their garage. It's You just can't ignore them. I'm sorry. I, I remember reading magazines as a kid. I'm <laughs> sure you do. And uh, the 911 again. But, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I completely get it. Okay, what is the most undervalued car for you at the moment? What do you think Oof, should be more? I've thought about this and I think 
I'm not sure if I can say it, 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 they should be worth more money because without a warranty, you're in trouble. But uh, an E92 M3, a V8 M3, you can pick them they up. Are cheap. For, I haven't looked recently, but maybe 14k or something. Yeah, I was going to guess 15, Some, something, something like that. Something around there. And it's a great car, but we're going to look back at that engine and just think, I can't believe a 3 Series was ever fitted with an engine like that. Yeah. If you look at the specs of that thing, and same with the V10 in the, the M5 of that era, it's a motorsport engine. You know, the technology in it is astonishing, which is why you need the warranty. Because if it goes wrong, it's a write-off. Yeah. It really is. So in a way, those cars are undervalued because they're so special and they're not, they're not expensive. But in another sense, if they let you down, you're going to think it's, <laughs> you know, you're going to think very differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always that, like, you need the, the money set aside or at least the, the warranty from yeah. someone or somewhere. You need to be able to use it without worrying about it all the time. And I'd say that applies to any car you own. Mm, exactly right. As soon as you get a car that's worth more than you're comfortable with, like you're comfortable parking it yeah. on the street, not, not, you maybe not leave it mm. on the street all the time, but you know, you, so you can go to the pub and park it or yeah, yeah. go and visit a mate and park outside his house in a part of town. Mm. As soon as you've got to the point where you can't do that with a car, it starts dropping down there. You've lost it. You've lost it. You have to be absolutely comfortable using it as a car because that's what it is, you know? And yeah. if you're worrying about it all the time, get rid and find something else. Yeah. Just yeah. let that weight out. Yeah. Just, yeah, let it go. <laughs> okay. What is the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling? What am I Googling? What are you looking at? Do you know what? One of the revelations about buying a car that I've really wanted for a while is that that actually satisfies that hunger. And I've, I've not been on Auto Trader or Piston Heads or anything for a while, but I, I've, I've spent plenty of time doing all that stuff. Mm. Um, so at the moment, what would I be? I think the, the, the other car that I was very close to buying when I bought my A110 was a 981 Cayman S. So yes. six-cylinder, looks great, looks better than the earlier car. Much better. Stunning engine gorgeous to drive and i can still see myself in one of those at some point if i ever get rid of my a110 yeah. I'd, I'd love to try and get into one of those they're so like they're just so good yeah my they're, my boxer was that generation exactly yeah and well the, the, the boxer i've got parity between those two you know they're, ju they're just brilliant cars and it's and i swear that the fact that porsche got rid of that amazing na6 and put in the turbo engine yeah. that, that will i'm sure prop up values yeah, and, and I I can't remember. I've I sort of heard that they may go back to a six for the next Boxster because yeah. it just tanked and no one sold I it. I think I think they have to, yeah, because um, those cars have held value amazingly well. The nine eight ones. It's almost depressing if you want to buy one. You just think, yeah. why haven't you come down further? Flip side being that it won't lose value while you own it. Probably. Yeah. If I think if you can get a good one, manual, at the right money, I can't see that shedding much cash right now that might change over a long period of time but it's just a really good car yeah yeah you use it every day as long as you don't need, don't need more space it'll do everything sounds you need. great has has quite a lot of space between the two the two bits boot areas it's got yeah yeah perfectly usable god maybe i made the wrong decision <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll nah, you've got time you can yeah, buy one yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. Point in time. cool well thanks very much for coming on Thank you for having me. It's been for, nice first to meet. podcast experience. That was good. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm very jealous of your car collection. Oh, it's, it's infuriating. <laughs> Where's the F40? It's in Oxfordshire. Is it? 
it doesn't, it doesn't get driven much, but... Such a cool thing. That's the... You've got half an hour, yeah. drive any car. I have, I've not driven anything that provides that level of excitement at the speed, at the speed, mm. because it's that bit older, mm. the suspension's like a bit sketch. Yeah. So going down a road at 60 miles an hour feels sketchy. Mm. So, yeah. It just, and then little, the boost comes in. And then, then the boost comes in. <laughs> I was at, very briefly, I was at Anglesey when uh, Chris Harris shot his F40, F50 oh, video. Oh, wow. That's one of my favourite videos of all yeah. time. That, that's a seminal video, that one. And he took me out in the F40. Oh, and he was sick. Skidding it around. And it was the coolest thing, you know. Yeah. To see that from the passenger seat, it was like, wow. That was wicked. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.